you dumb, beautiful fucker. Who wants to be in America's slash fit with Abraham Lincoln? Louisiana Purchase, that's a name. You need to really get off my balls, okay? I'm gonna kick your ass. Also, why was Michelangelo so stinky? Ew. Episode 228 of All You Can Hear Podcast. I'll be your host today, Patrick, and joining me today are my three cantankerous co-hosts. Exploding in uh, a ball of love cult. I'm here. I'm Jonathan. Bittersweet Wenzel. And there's a lot of bittersweet flavors. A lot of flavors today. Uh, we're not talking about food. We're talking about movies. It's been a minute since we talked about movies. And today's gimmick is that we're doing uh, what I've come to call first time, long time movie festival. <laughs> all uh, right, all right, I'll take it. I mean, I I couldn't come up with a name for it. Yeah, we were. Uh, me and I was taking Colt home as we were driving. I was like, because we were struggling to come up with an idea for an episode. And I was like, I just got a brain blast, an episode idea. And I was like, why don't we each pick a movie, just one movie that either it's been a long time since we've seen or we've never seen it at all. And we present it to everybody else, and we watch it, and then we split it up to where two one day, two the next, and then record. And Cole was like, that sounds like a good idea. And I was like, that sounds like a good idea. So I told them, and then we were like, yeah, let's do it. I kind of got it just from, like, whenever we do the album episodes. I was like, well, why don't we bring the same thing over for movies, you know? I know we haven't touched it because we're kind of afraid of touching stuff because of essential viewing, but, you know, why not? So, like, like when so we each uh, came to the table with a movie... And what we'll be discussing in order the movies we watched. Now, we will say up front, there will be full spoilers, or at least some spoilers in the discussion of this film. And definitely with, I would say, the third film we be, we will be discussing on Sundays, there's like, a, I would say, a massive trigger warning for yeah, some of the content massive. we'll be discussing. Um, but we will have timestamps in the description of this episode. And so, if you if you need to like skip ahead or skip to a certain portion, we'll we'll, we'll make that available to you on on the final release in the description. But to go ahead and get us started, we'll uh, discuss the first film which Colt brought to the table. Colt, would you introduce the film, and we'll get started on the discussion of it. The the movie I brought to the table was Osamu Tezuka's Metropolis. It's the animated. Uh, version of uh, his Metropolis, which if you don't know who Osama Tezuka is, it's the creator of uh, famously Astro Boy, and that's the only one that's coming to mind right now. But uh, it's directed by uh, Rintoro. Kimba the White Lion. Kimba the White Lion too. That is another yeah. one. One of the most prolific and legendary uh, manga creators and artists in general, let alone Japan. And the uh, director is uh, Rintaro, which is a d- big director of anime from the 80s and 90s. Uh, he, the only one that's coming to mind right now is Captain Harlock and uh, Space Odyssey or something. I just remember a very long Galaxy Express. Galaxy Express. That's it. A uh, very famous uh, anime director, and uh, one of the writers on it was the uh, creator of Akira and all that great stuff. So it's got a lot of big names coming to the table with this movie. 
Uh, I picked this movie because I fucking love it, and I wanted to share it with everyone, and I thought everyone here would like it. And uh, it turns out no one here liked it. Not even me the second time around. <laughs> yeah, just on you, we didn't like it. We loved it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we loved it. Fucking fantastic. It was a really good movie. It was, uh, it was spectacular, yeah. I gotta say thank you to Jonathan for getting for me for Christmas like two years ago, and I fucking love it. Um. So, yeah, uh, again, big spoilers because we're going to talk about it. Uh, I don't know if we should. I don't know if I'm not going to spoil the film uh, from the, the silent film, but um, it's also a film I think any, everybody should check out. Yeah, I think uh, the Osama Tezuka's Metropolis was inspired by it to begin with. But from what I can tell, not nothing related. Yeah, stories are not the same at all. I, 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 do, I do know since this is sort of like a, a combination like adaptation of both this original silent film and uh, Osama Tezuka's uh, work but it, I would say it just inspired because it is like vastly different from both properties And but I, w- I will say for the film it really adapts Osama Tezuka's art style with his like very exaggerated caricature faces and like like long kind of chunky limbs and like just like a, a lot of whimsy that comes with his work and I do find it interesting that this movie was released after his death, and he's sort of famously not very kind to that work because he just wasn't very proud of how he was, he made it. Really? Because you know, like like any artist, you know, they'll make something, you know, to a varying degree. They feel like it doesn't, and we're able to fully express like their feelings and emotion and uh, ideas with it, and that's what Suzuka felt with his. Uh, original manga of Metropolis. But I will say with this film, I thought it was just probably one of the most impressive animated films I've ever seen. It was legitimately a feast for the eyes. There was so much color, so much detail. And uh, I remember, I guess I misremembered, because uh, when I first watched it, I thought, I'm okay with this, and I like this. It was the 3D CGI stuff they had going on in it. And it looked way better than I remembered. Uh, it wasn't that big of a problem as I thought it would be. Uh, because this movie was released in 2001. So it's there 20 is some, years old. There is some uh, CG animation in it. And like it, it, I would say it is more conspicuous in other places than others. But to me, it doesn't... I'm not taken out of the film by like the age of the CG. Like I, I still feel it, it's pretty congruent with like what's happening on the film yeah yeah it felt pretty seamless between the two and like i mean especially like for the time like there are show it looks better than a lot of shows today or even movies that in, incorporate traditional animation with cg elements and just with like some of the scale and set like i don't know if it would have been possible for them to do this traditionally animated and or at least do it traditionally animated and have it come out in any reasonable amount of time. Yeah. Because yeah. you can tell they already put so much work into it. Yeah. Uh, especially with those buildings. Like, those were insane. And honestly, it's just, it's kind of interesting because, you know, with the original, or, yeah, the work it's based off of Metropolis, it's like, you know, the huge cityscape stuff was, like, painted. And, like, with this, it's kind of like, you know, like, it's it's a homage to that, but also it's kind of like let's use the techniques of modern time, and I think it was implemented very well. Yeah, it was yeah. very really good. For and like just sort of reference it, the whole movie is it is like this sci-fi like 
like cyberpunk setting, but it's sort of combined with like the Art Deco style of like the twenties and thirties. Yeah. So you have like this very like this showy glitz and glamour of like yesteryear, but like this like high future. I guess it, it which I, I really do enjoy sort of like the whole like like uh, Bray Gun punk, you know, like kind of of like sci fi, like mm-hmm. Rocketeer kind yeah. of yeah, like that yeah. sort of era of like science fiction, and yeah. I think that is a great vibe with the film and and to me one of the most impressive things of the film is just the sheer scale yeah. of mm-hmm. everything in the movie. Like, everything is enormous. Every, like, all the buildings, all the sets are just, like, dwarf everything by comparison. And, like, when... There's this funny thing in the film how they're sort of supplanting religion and God with just sort of, I guess, the reverence of, like, what mankind is built, but it loops back around to being, like, a little... Like religion in itself, yeah, and like it, when you see the scale and sort of like the imagery of the film, you can you can sort of understand like the 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 fervor and sort of the awe that's inspired by it that is likened to that of religion. Yeah, like it's kind of like making a cult, you know, out of a mad scientist. Um, <coughs> it's really cool. I really I like like you said. I really enjoy that era. Uh, especially like I because I, I keep kind of I got to draw comparisons because I really enjoyed Metropolis when I saw it last year and like the like capturing that scale like you know beyond the painting was insane and awesome and then like also too it's like I don't know it, it's something that's been bothering me I haven't looked it up but like because Metropolis was a silent film it was in black and white and then with this film, it's like we get all of this color. Like all of these buildings are so colorful. And then like at certain points of the day, you know, all the buildings are gray, you know, washed out gray, beige, brown, and stuff like that. So like I think those are nice little connections there. But like that colorful scenery, I um, I like I'm curious is like is that you know was that the original intention, like harkening back, or you know if this is his own thing, which is cool either way because. Um, you know, it's still it's still very much connected to the the art um, of the time, especially mm-hmm. with decoration and all that shit. You know, decor, obviously. Um, uh, yeah, especially with also the huge, uh, you know, the religious significance, obviously, with the huge, which is a ziggurat. Um, mm-hmm. the, the biggest building in the city. Yeah, which is, um, it, I'm trying to think if they called it. If that's what they called it in the film, or if they called it the Tower of uh, Babel, but it, there, there's they like they definitely mention that they, they make comparisons said it'd be the Tower of Babel. Yeah, like, compared like it's the tallest building in Babylon, and you know knowing the story of Babel and Babylon, and it's like it's incredible fall. You're sort of like, there's there's sowing all these seeds that despite the splendor and the, you know the the ostentacity of the of the city, you realize like just beneath its gilded surface is like a a city that's deeply entrenched in like in poverty and bigotry and like injustice. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, which was um, <coughs> sorry. I got to get back back into design a little bit because that's what was so cool about the original one. This one is that like you have like the story of the Tower of Babel being as ancient as it is, and then you have this, which is for the time supposed to be high future, but to us now it's retro. I I just love that. Um, I don't know what you'd call that. I don't want to say juxtaposition, but like I just love love that that kind of um, that combination. Yeah. And um, but 
that was also something that I was really different from um, this film and the first one was um, I don't know what the manga is like. The manga maybe touches more on it, but in the, f- the original film, it talks. It's mostly about like the di- like the disparity between like the working class and then the upper class, and like uh, with this, it was like um, you still kind of get that. But it's kind of really very different in that there's the working class, the robots, and then the very high upper class. And then I guess the government would be part of that, too. Um, so it was kind of like tackling a lot of different things, um, especially with like the um, religious uh, illusions as well. And I wanted to say something. Sorry. Before we get to like story stuff, not just... Uh, the visuals are great. The music, the sound, everything about that is great as well. I love the way they uh, use the. I don't. Is it big the band? Turn of the century, like big band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like big band swing jazz. There is a yes, one yes. scene that's my favorite scene in the whole movie that uses uh, Ray Charles' "Can't Stop Loving You." That is absolutely amazing, fantastic. Every way you can describe something good, in my opinion, I fucking love that scene. I will. I will say I was kind of caught off guard when, like, you know, spoilers. Just like all this pandemonium happened, and just Ray Charles is <laughs> blasting. Yeah, I but was... at the same time, I like. I really enjoyed like that the, the disposition of that when you just that's like this really like upbeat song, and then the world is literally ending as like the, around them. I mean, it uh, <laughs> it Fallout works made an entire really it, really well in the uh, scene. That they're working with, even though I don't like either of these characters, they're both shitheads. It's still applied very much so to uh, their relationship, uh, the old man and uh, Rock. Fred. And then uh, it also applied to Tima and uh, Kenichi as well. I thought it was really good there. Sorry, I could not remember if his name was Kenichi or I was. Think- I kept thinking of uh, the one guy from the other movie that we saw. Um, was his name Kenichi too? Ooh. Which movie? The last one, Pompoko. Oh, um, there was uh, Sochichi and Ponkichi. Okay, I guess I'm just making stuff up. Anyway, back to this. Wendell can't keep the Japanese name straight. A lot of characters are honestly throwing at us. Um, but well, I, I think sort of like one of the things I love about this movie, and I think this might be a interesting place to start, is for a movie that's... It's what, like a little over an hour and a half, like a hundred minutes. Or it's something. an hour forty-eight. An hour, one hundred eight minutes. Yeah, for a, a movie that's relatively short, all things considered, the amount of like major principal characters, like the cast, is pretty large. Yeah. And though, the, and it'll go through like these mo, like it kind of flows like a piece of classical music in the sense of has these really interesting digressions that explore the world and to me i feel like the city metropolis itself was more of a character than even a lot of the characters were as as we get like inside you know as like the first thing you see is the big bombast yeah that opening was sick and Mm -hmm. and the uh ostentatiousness of the all but once we once we fight fully uh are introduced to Tima and start exploring like the underbelly you start seeing a lot of like the dark more darker more pernicious aspects and how all of that 
creates this really like interesting vibe. It reminds me a lot of a lot of the early and, and uh, a lot of the early parts of Akira, where mm-hmm. it is very much you're bouncing between these characters in certain stages of the city as they're and it, it sort of is exploring the setting while <laughs> all, all this stuff is happening. I don't know. I find that really cool. Like just the overall vibe of the movie. Yeah, no, they have to, because, you know, the the city is so fucking massive, it's literally a metropolis, yeah. and, uh, it, like, there's the upper, upper part, which is basically the surface. Where the that, rich people live. Where the rich people live, and then you kind of get, like, a little bit lower, it's, like, probably the middle where you're kind of getting into, like, you're about to touch the surface. Mm-hmm. That, you might could say, is middle class. Um, and, and people who still have, like, some, like... Like expandable capital, like you know, some privilege. You know, it's it's not as like polished and like glamorous, but you know, people still have like a decent way of life. Yeah, yeah. but then you get lower and lower, and that's where you get into like what is essentially the working class and like poverty, like the slums. Well, 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 and then, but then a lot of them don't even have jobs because the robots have taken their places too. Yeah, yeah, and then we have the robots, which are essentially a slave class. Too. Yeah, like they're not even like. Uh, you know they're not even considered people you know and um but it's like it's like you know the the way with our characters go and stuff it's like to understand the city the story of the city of the people you got to go down and work your way up and yeah, yeah. I, I i like that too that's what also was really good about uh the original metropolis as well is that that disparity between the working class and the upper class and um it was it was really uh, well done, especially with the setting and like you know the theme, um, the aesthetic, uh, and the same can be said for this too. Um, I don't know if enough was confronted in the film that should have been, but still, you know, I think well executed. Yeah, and that's why I think this movie works better, more as sort of a vibe to feel out than necessarily like um, the plot. Is, I'm not saying like the plot is any. In- incoherent in any way but it is definitely more like free-flowing like Im- kind of more improvised like jazz or has the feel of that yeah you can definitely see that because it's because you know they're trying to tackle a lot of stuff it's like there's a revolution going on but then there's also the rights of robots but then there's also a character who you know spoiler uh, we meet tima who is robot but looks human but is supposed to be human but is a robot like well she's like she's meant to mm-hmm. be she, she was just and like unearthly, like robot that looks indistinguishable from human. It was supposed and, to be the replacement of uh, the main bad guy's daughter that we lo- they lost somehow. Yeah, uh, Tima is is the you know if you look at if you look up the film she's the you know basically the poster child. Yeah, the girl the the, the blonde headed blue eyed girl that you see on the front of the poster, and like how she was essentially created to be like this godhead for this new world that her father had created and it's it, to me it's just really interesting like the the world that's created and like the the, the lengths that somebody will go through to achieve what they want because you have like duke red who despite being like this he's just a very ex- exorbitantly wealthy man and how he can controls the city better than the, the military and the government and you have other characters like Atlas, who's this like you know poor young man who is the like the fastest leader of the, the this working class revolution, and how you, you see like he will go through you know lengths you know that are you know, questionable to like help the you know the very impoverished 
humans there, but at the at the expense of the suffering of robots. Yeah, which is like you know the, the robots. We get a lot of character with the robots as well. Um, I really enjoyed that because mm-hmm. in the original Metropolis there weren't any robots. Um, so this was like. Don't give me that look, Pat. Okay, you know, you know. Okay, okay. Uh, what? <laughs> um, anyway, go watch the go watch it uh, if you can find it. Um, but like, it was so I was just so uh, taken aback, and I fell in love with the robots easily because they're just such a I don't know. They're so they're just so fun. Like you know, they're they're people too. Like Fifi so, deserved better. Fifi so deserved better. Paro deserved. Paro deserved better. A lot better. As soon, like, as soon as they got the robot, the string of numbers and letters as the robot's name, Paro's name, and then the uncle of Kenichi's like, first thing I see, I see a dog, Paro. So you're now our dog robot. <laughs> yeah, that had a lot very. Unfortunate implications. Yeah, because Perro is is a um a robot detective that they have loaned out them because like Kenichi is his assistant to his uncle uh, Shunchaku Ban who who is a Japanese detective who's come to sort of suss out some of the shadier dealings of the this country yeah. of Metropolis. Yeah, I guess we should talk about the plot. <laughs> Although I will say on a little aside in Perro, my Toku brain was ticking so hard because. Um, this came out in 2001. He's very clearly based off the Showa era, uh, Toku series with Robot Detective K, like oh. like dark teal skin, the red lines, and like and in the um original series he had like kind of like globe yellow eyes. So like like if you look, if you look were to Google Paro Metropolis and then look up a picture of Robot Detective K, the Toku series, like it's and it. Night is like an almost one to one reference. Hell yeah! Like even Road Up the Theft K was the inspiration for Q from Street Fighter. Oh wow! Ooh, um, I was like, I was like, I know I recognize that design from somewhere, and then it was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I felt like Peril was definitely felt familiar. Mm-hmm. That's also why I really liked his design as well. Um, yeah. So in terms of plot, basically, um. The, like we mentioned, this detective, this Japanese detective, and his nephew, who's assistant, they've come to Metropolis to find and investigate a man named Dr. Lafton. And Dr. Lafton is connected to Duke Red because Duke Red has commissioned him to build him his daughter. And her name is Tima. And then there is this just the worst motherfucker. I stinky dumb dumb poo poo baby. This stinky motherfucker. This dumb. Are we talking about rock? Bu- rock? Buckets of turds and that little fucking head. Rock mother. His name is Rock, and basically he's an orphan from a war. His parents were killed in a war, and he's an orphan. And Duke Red took him in, basically adopted him, but also doesn't treat him as his son. Yeah, like he said, yeah. like, I adopted this kid, but I don't sort of. See you as I son, or just sort of like a like an extension of my power. Yeah. How like, the fuck are you gonna adopt a kid and turn him into a Nazi and then say I don't like you okay, anymore? Okay. Reason why Colt says that is because Rock is part of this party called the Murdoch Party, the, the Marduk Marduk Party, but they're also the secret police of Duke Red. He leads it. And um, like they, heavy, like Nazi fascists, and like not even like literally the Japanese, li- literally the Japanese detectives, like who are those fascists? Because they have literal red armbands with 
the Marduk symbol on it. They, they look like the SS. Basically. And what they do is they find, they hunt down any robot who's not in their zone, who's doing something they're not supposed to, whatever. And, I mean, no mercy. They just fucking kill them. And, when you, and you think, like, oh, they're just killing robots. Like, who cares? But, the, like, when you see that the level of, like, like, like violence that is visited upon robots, like, this is this feels extreme even for, quote, robots. Yeah, there's, like, uh, cleaner robots just smashing windows. Because, well, we forgot to, or we didn't say anything yet about it. Uh, uh, Red, Captain Red? What Duke is Red. Duke Red uh, has a giant laser that shoots at the sun... That makes it have a solar flare sh- like uh, event with uh, which shoots out EMP waves towards the Earth and it fucks with the robots and that's where they start going violent and that's what they use as an excuse to shoot at the robots and uh, there's just one cleaner robot breaking windows and they absolutely unload on that thing missing every single shot uh, except for like two but they finally get like it. literally you have like the the secret police like firing like semi-automatic weapons into a crowd to like kill the robot because there's a one scene where some of the worker robots are being like or are like freaking out and they're being shot like you see like a father and his son like pressed against like a concrete pillar to avoid the bullets to kill the robots yeah and it's like all right to go to these links and and then the reason why duke red because he also have his own personal scientist that isn't hiding in the dark or whatever to create this invention because the ziggurat is also part it's like this giant tall tower and it has like colt said a device that basically causes solar flares and the whole point of this is to basically he wants to rule the world have have it like have a gun to the, <laughs> to the head of the world and um but as a part of this there is a throne and so like okay he wants his daughter right but like you know that's not just it he wants this his daughter his artificial daughter to sit on this throne for whatever reason to to rule the world um and you know we find out the significance even more of this throne later and um man i I don't know i just really uh i really enjoy the ziggurat design just that whole idea right there yeah the four pillars and the main pillar in the middle yeah like so cool like the the um because colt (coughs) you know reminded me of this in fallout 4 you have these like uh these kind of like godhead figures that are put onto buildings it's very much like that retro like high high like upper class kind of uh art deco design and it's almost cult like that's why i said godhead and then you i think it's the same thing in this uh but i don't think they're like person's heads they look birds like uh, hawks or eagles or something i just like i don't know what they are but they're really cool yeah they look really cool um so you know again we have that homage to the original as well um trying to think where where do we go from it's kind of hard to like sit here and go through the film chronologically because it is kind of scattershot and and it, it has like a few plot threads that weave together but they all start at completely different yeah, places. Yeah, sorry, I, I completely forgot this one. The The whole thing that really starts the chain reaction of everything is that um, Duke Red, because uh, the scientist he has commissioned, Dr. Lofton, does his dealings in the ground, literally. Um, and uh, so when he goes in there, um, Rock, his adopted son, follows him. And um, when he follows him, he goes in there and confronts the doctor and is like, hmm... 
Nah, I hate robots. It starts just yeah. He's like, I can only be, I can be, I'm the only daddy's baby. Okay, yeah, I'm the baby dad, daddy baby, baby. Yeah, baby, he's a total simp for his dad. Yeah, yeah he wants to fuck his really dad. fucking weird. He's like, yeah, but also hates his dad too. because he keeps he keeps saying Duke Red needs to sit on the throne, not this thing. Looking at, uh, I guess which would be his like stepsister or whatever yeah, robot steps yeah Tima because Dr. Lofton's been taking a lot of time to work on her because she has to be you know quote unquote perfect but also it's because he wants to take her and basically have her be his daughter and then run away there's this, like, this weird like blurring of like like human and machine and like to if he wants to like supersede like the rule of humanity he finds like his linchpin to be like something that blurs that line if he's like I'm gonna be it transcend my role as just like a very rich influential man to like going from just like a influential power on earth to be like power over the heavens into space like it just like transcend like mortality and for him to do that with his like robot daughter who's like who died and she was re quote reborn as this machine this sort of uh as inhuman human machine um are you were you talking about duke red yeah. Okay. I was talking about Doctor Lofton. Oh. I, I was just. Uh, I don't. Well, yeah, Doctor Lofton. He's, he's a weird little fuck. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, it, I, that was, the pictures in the book. I think those were just like references for his work on uh, Tima. No, I know. But the thing is, is that remember, Doctor Lofton was going to betray Duke Red because he wanted Tima for himself. That's what uh, he said. Well, basically, because like he's he's working like so hard to make this perfectly human robot, and then he has to just give it up to someone else to use. Yeah. Like, be like, fuck that. He, yeah, he considered it his masterpiece, but that was really good what you said, Pat. Um, yeah, he, he doesn't want to give that up, but then, you know, Rock's like, fuck you, so he shoots Lafton, and then he starts unloading on her, but she's able to uh, get out because... Oh man, I forgot about this scene. It was so cool. So the whole place catches on fucking fire, and uh, Rock, being a little bitch that he is, runs away. And then the robots come over to uh, help put it out. And there's a sick, like, little beat song that's put to it while they're the, the firefighter, firefighter robots, robots are coming there to put it out. It's really sick. Uh, you, see, you see three initial robots sort of like come out to the to the blades, and you see like like hundreds of these like these little like mouse bots like come out of the woodwork and they all kind of like combine into like these kind of super structures and yeah. they just shoot water out which like in a very stratified like city where like fire trucks can physically can't pass through you have mm-hmm. like these sort of like these cobbled together like megazord type robots to combat the fire it's a pretty neat thing yeah it's mm-hmm. really cool and that's where we see um the detective and um his nephew uh, go in there because, you know, they deduce that fuckers and um, Lofton's in there. So the detective goes to try to get Lofton and then the kid tries to see if there's any survivors. Of course, finds Tima and she's naked and he puts her jacket on her and then they fall. I yeah, think. they fall through to mm-hmm. even the furthest level. Yeah. Where, like, be, no humans live. It's just like the robot class. Yeah. yeah which and is, the only way they survived was Kenichi landed on his legs and he caught Tima and uh, he didn't break his legs because his legs are solid steel. Tree trunks. Yeah. Tree trunks. yeah. Like, this little boy has fucking right. tree trunk <laughs> massive thighs. <laughs> important story development element is that Kenichi has thick ass calves. Like no character, no other character has calves this fucking thick. Just him. Like imagine how big Popeye's forearms are. That's how big this kid is. Exactly. <laughs> and he had relatively... 
normalish arm sizes for the characters in the show, and everybody else had like tiny core, big arms, big legs. But his legs were the mega legs, like big arm, like you know, very exaggerated like facial features, like noses, heads, like you know. Obviously, I will say even the big honkers on some of these characters is kind of restrained on some other Tezuka characters. Oh yeah, because Duke Red has like literally a nose that takes up half of the fucking screen. Like, like it, it, he looks like a fucking bird. Half the he time. does, he does, and it, there's a lot of like you know avian imagery with sort of general Art Deco and like in the film already, like him being the top of that makes sense. Yeah, um, and it's so funny because Tima, like when you see her, you know she's part of the film, but like she looks so out of place because again, Kenichi with his thick ass fucking calves. He's like her, like obviously she's still very stylized, but like her proportions are much more natural, and there's like there's an extra level of like detail and animation given to her like there's a scene where the wind like ruffles through her hair that's like all right let's calm down there was no wind it was just her hair like, like oh you know like whatever. no you no know, i know it's you wind see the, you see like her her hair is like very anime as if it's being blown by wind <laughs> yeah and there's a lot of like you know like i guess higher power religious uh vibes with her because she stands under a beam of light there's a point where she's looking over the city and like a dove lands on her shoulder people literally think she's, she's an, an angel, angel she has yeah. this unearthly like presence about her which is also a reference to the original uh metropolis because the female lead in, in there was also seen literally the same way as an angel as a disciple of god um so i i, I really enjoyed that that was a really good scene i just think it's funny that anytime like a moment like that happens there's no wind sure is just flowing just, just and I, if i was kenichi i'd be like what the fuck <laughs> like, she, like she just has like her own like air current yeah and she's like what are you looking at me for look at your fucking legs like yeah and yeah, like that <laughs> tree trunk ass leg but man like do arm day someday like goddamn you know <laughs> we we joked that whenever he was in his mother's womb he was doing calf raises yep Yep. Did no, you just see his like feet push. I can't start his stomach. <laughs> oh, well, no, I was thinking like because you know babies will move in the womb, so it'd just be funny. It's like, it's like you know, it's like oh, I can feel him moving. It's like he's why is he doing this? Like it's rep- repetitive, repetitive, and then they like do a you know uh, a sonogram, whatever, to see what he's doing, and like all right, well, now we're gonna see your baby, and uh, they're like, what is he doing? Like, I think he's doing calf raises. You just hear like the clank of the weights, like clink, clink, clink. Yep. Clank. <laughs> like damn. All right. Um. But yeah, uh, now the detective does find Laughton. Fucker's dying, and he's like, "My book, my book!" And he's like, "Oh, your book's important." Takes his book, and then just a book full of dried boogers. Nothing good. Yeah, nothing good. Takes he it, just leaves. His ass with it. Pero's just watching everything unfold. Um, well, no, he's not. Uh, he's literally can't do anything, in, but he's trying to keep everybody back. Which also, whenever we go see him get. Pero and like loan him um you know we learn learn about robots and stuff it's like robots have to have a specific writing i think maybe it goes for all citizens they have the specifically like no sorry not humans if humans if certain humans don't have certain writing i think even robots they can go to whatever zone they want to um but if robots have like it says zone one they can only be in zone one or zone three or however often but it's very strict like like you no know, class lines where like they can't trespass, <laughs> which it's so funny because Para walks so fucking slow. There is a point he does run, but there's a part in there where he's like, "Well, I have to go back to headquarters to get permission to do this." Blah blah blah, and I'm like, and like the entire time that it happens, I'm like, "You're 
nephew is dying and Pero is taking his dear sweet fucking time because the detective Hell, even the uncle wasn't like a super, i know like <laughs> it's like oh this is the top of my list let me just like make, take my time and have some snacks which was funny too because there was a part in there where there's ice cream nearby and he he swipes a little bit of it on his finger and licks it and then does it again and i'm like i'm just losing my mind i'm like are you fucking serious then literally the vendor is like you're not a kid and like you need to pay so fucking good. And then he starts gobbling on a fucking glizzy. Yeah. And he's like, oh, oh, is that my uh, my nephew? Oh, oh mm, this glizzy, though. Yeah. The vendor attacks him again. He's like, you got to pay, bro. Yeah. Which is really fucking Just funny. Just watching on some dogs. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Rock is losing his mind because he's like, oh, fuck. I love my dad. I just want to <laughs> be the only child. And I love killing robots. Like, and there I go killing again. Yeah. Uh, we get introduced to one robot. It's part of a series called Albert Twos, but this one is named specific- specifically Fifi. Fifi. And it actually has parts of it put onto it. Like, it's been kind of like jerry rigged and put together. So, like, you can kind of distinguish it from the rest. Love Fifi. Because Beefy uh, helps uh, Kenichi and Tima when they fall into, like, the super sewers. Yeah. And uh, then we get, like, real fucking pissed when, like, R.I.P. fucking Fifi takes care of them in the, in the gunk and in the, in the goo. And then and Rock just, like, fucking executes fucking <laughs> Executes. Like, literally, any time a robot shot is straight up an execution. Like, they were just, like, pop in the head. Like, they unload the whole clip, reload, and fire <laughs> Like, Rock, Rock looks at Fifi, sunglasses, see the reflection... Doesn't miss a beat. Shoots Fifi right in the fucking head. Point blank, too. Like, does not fucking care. And Fifi, being the sweet robot that it is, was trying to, like, block the bullets from getting them. Oh, so sad. Fuck. No cinematic death in movie history compares to fucking Fifi. No, because it was so violent. They could kill a hundred old yellows. I still wouldn't care. <laughs> no, we we talked about that, too. We were like, ah, well, never mind. Marley and me is sad. Hachi's sad. Where the red fern grows. Fuck. I guess, like, certain dog deaths, maybe. Why are you looking at that? I don't know. What are you looking I, I at? I came across something a while ago, and I'm just kind of startled. What are you uh, looking at, John? I was looking up uh, Azama Tezuka noses because I wanted to see how big these honkers could get. Uh, however, in the Google Images search, there is a picture of a YouTube thumbnail for <laughs> uh, an, an Azama Tezuka manga called Message to Adolf. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. And it look, and it's just kind of this funny little... John's been, have that on their image for the past, like, <laughs> ten minutes. And I'm like... Well, I've been trying to, like, interject, but I was like... Oh, yeah, y'all, y'all okay. Kept going. <laughs> I, I, I don't know anything about it, but I've seen it on, like, book sites and stuff like that. Uh, this image is weird, because it's clearly someone's uh, avatar. Who looks like... Like a a chubbier version of the uh, lead singer of A Day to Remember. And, and, and the image of the book itself, it looks like if the Necronomicon from Evil Dead had Adolf Hitler's face <laughs> <Basically>. on Basically. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a weird image. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, uh, just a bit on the characters. What I think is so cool about Osama Suzuka is that how he reused his characters throughout just like his life and his career how like there'll be like explicitly the same character design 
because he uses this uh, thing called the star system, where basically he envisioned his manga series as movies, and he would re- and he considered his characters to be actors, and they would be they would turn up again and again. How like Atlas, the revolutionary leader, is a this it's the same name and design of a robot and Astro Boy. Oh, okay. But but like their goals are reversed. So At was about the the uh, proliferation of robots and sort of diminishment of humans, and it's reversed for humans to robots. And <laughs> right. what's it's a, like Shinchaku Bond, like the um, the detective. He is like a a very like recognizable reoccurring character in Tezuka's work. Like he, like Tezuka just like took this bit and so, you can kind of think of that like as like a Tezuka verse in a, in a certain manner of speaking. Like to the point where he even kept up with like the fictional salaries of what these characters would make in the individual work and how they were like presented. Because some obviously would be, they would be like a main character in one, they're sort of like a like a a side character in another. And it's like it's really cool to see someone just reuse their characters and have a very like creative system like that. Yeah, that's very fun. I kind of right. wish more creators would do that. Yeah, it's a very fun thing. I mean. Actually, I know someone who does, and that is the creator of uh, Fairy Tale. Uh, he just reuses the same fucking design for every fucking series. I mean, um, there's there's some characters that supposed to like you know like the little like the little carrot nose dog character. Yeah, that's that one I'm fine with it. But like uh, the the char- the main character in his newest manga series is literally just fucking not to or gray from Fairy Tale in a different color palette. Fine. Sure. Like, obviously, you know, having a limited uh, design in, in your work is different than, like, oh, this is, like, a distinct design that's reused. I guess you can sort of say how some people could criticize, like, Araki and Jojo, how, like, his faces are very... Similar. One note, how they're, like, outside of their bodies and costumes, everybody kind of has, like, a very similar face. Yeah. But I mean, he he he's very aware of that. He's like, yeah, my my characters look have the same face. Yeah, but then you know he makes up for it with their clothes. outfits. Yeah, yeah, pretty sick. <laughs> and their fucking powers. Um, I guess kind of touching back though on like, uh, religion, myths, what have you. Um, you know, with the uh, Babylon, that whole the whole thing about that was that what like God. Had it made where everybody spoke a different tongue. Which is funny as shit. Like, just imagine you're at work one day, building a tall building, and then all of a sudden, if someone's like, rabbit dip scabber, bebop bobo. And, and you're like, what the fuck? And all of a sudden, the building falls. That'd just be funny as shit. That, like, I'm not wrong, right? Like, I'm not. Uh, the, that's the, the Tower the, of The story Babel. of the Tower of Babel was these people were like, yo, you know what would be fucking sick? If we built this giant fucking tower to talk to God. Mm-hmm. And then God was just like, you know what? I'm going to be an asshole today. And then starts giving people different languages. After, after he smites the tower. After yeah. he smites the tower. And then, then they're just like, well, I guess we're... They're, they're all talking. They're talking like Animal Crossing characters. Well, I thought I thought they built the tower to challenge God because it was such an incredible like. Either way, God was offended. Con- yeah, yeah, God's con- like can't come up construction here. feet, which you know, uh, with the ziggurats and stuff, they're pretty incredible. Um, but no, I just like that. Like um, you know, the situation's kind of different in this where <laughs> God gave that after, but like with this, it's like you know there is more or less. I wouldn't say miscommunication, but there's like 
the upper class, the lower class, they all they all speak the same language, but it's like there's they're no, separated. They're separated. There's no communication. Uh, there's barriers and capitalist alienation. And uh, and then you know, um, it, it's just that. Um, No, no, I keep thinking about this one bit. I came, okay, so we're going to skip to the end a little bit. Remember when Tima fucking dies? Uh, Spoiler. Remember when, like, Tima fucking dies? Like, (laughs) crazy, right? No, I keep thinking it would be so funny if, like, Kenichi is just like, he's like, I'm never going to let that happen again because she slipped right through his fucking fingers. So from then on, he starts fucking doing arm day, uh, ab day. I, I don't know. I just I, it was like so funny to me. Okay. He just does all upper body. He's like, I I learned today that my lower body has betrayed me. Now it's just time for upper body, and he's just the top heaviest motherfucker. And I just imagine a very disgusting Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, like it's like Kenichi, like all grown up. Well, it, it's interesting. Like you know, we're definitely kind of off the, the the linear path of the pot. But anyway. Uh, I found out that apparently in the American release of the DVD, they cut out like a little like stinger picture at the very end. Because apparently at the very end, there was a scene that ties back to the last shot of the film, which is the, the little radio that Tima found. It plays like a line of hers. And in, in this sort of little like after credit scene, you see Kenichi all grown up in like a little like little shop with Tima rebuilt. So like there's a, there's an implication that he he either found T- enough of Tima's parts to rebuild her, but there's also like the ambiguities like is she just a window dressing in his shop that doesn't have her you know soul quote anymore? Yeah. Or is he just like he's, uh, or she is a, she's back to her old self. I think I like that. I like that ending. That, that's that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, that's weird how they. Cut I guess that. we should explain too because there was like basically what felt like an Akira moment where everybody kind of gets reunited. You know, Tima gets reunited with, or Duke Red finally meets Tima and he's like, "Fuck you, Rock," and then takes away his fucking you know um, thing. Oh yeah, the revolution does not work. Uh, the government actually gets overthrown. Everybody's dead. Um, and Pero dies. Terribly, by the way. Yeah, because this Atlas, gets shot in the face. This leader of revolution is like fuck robots and just caps them. And like I, I do think it's interesting how I always appreciate in the media when they show like a revolutionary army or like a like an uprising group that even within like this very genuine plight, there's a lot of like like dark emotions and like very fractured. I guess reality. So, like, yeah, you can sympathize with their plot, how, like, they're genuinely being, like, downtrodden. But also, you understand that people in their desperation will do very desperate and dangerous things. Because even Perro's like, hey, why are y'all doing this violently? Isn't there another way we can figure this out? And it's like, violence is the only, is the only way we can do this now. It's yeah. the only option we have. Yeah, because Perro questions humanity, which we very much should, is that why do you have to resort to violence? Like, And, like, it's, you know, a very good question. Well, but, and also, too, uh, they're sort of falling for the ruling class's trap of, like, it's like, well, you know, the robots are the real problem, but it's not the robots' fault. Yeah, because, you know. And so there, there's this sort of uh, working class animosity. Yeah, I mean, the robots didn't ask to be built. They didn't ask to be born, but they are. Now they're here. Yeah. And so like, they, they, so they shifted, the ruling class did, the uh, 
the discontent of the working class to like this even more subjugated class. It's like, see, it's there. They took your jobs. Not that there's not enough jobs and that there are th- resources being withheld from you. It's all because of these other guys fall. And once they're sort of focused on something else and they don't fight the bigger problem, if the robots and humans work together, then they could take that. That would be another fucking story. Be, like, cause we see so many just like, you don't really see the upper class attacking the robots. You always see the lower class attacking them in alleys, beating the shit out of them, doing what have you to them. And there's an even interesting moment where Paro finds one of them and then he like connects the very last like point of memory, I guess, from that robot to his. And the robot warn is trying to warn other robots of what's going to happen, I, which I thought was an interesting point. And then it brings me back to Paro talking to the leader. And it's like, you know, even though the robots we've seen so far they you know they're very programmed robotic obviously you know kind of we see a little bit of like there's there's a different level of sentience even amongst the robots yeah like that's starting to change and um we really kind of i really like the questions that were posed by tima whenever we finally get that moment because um you know skip ahead tima is again meeting duke red and duke red's like you gotta be on the throne now and then you know detective is like like he's like i'm gonna you know open the whole charade and then he gives him the notebook or whatever they're all in the tower by the way uh again rock has been stripped of his fucking shit um my nazi armband (laughs) and his position and everything and and just like any sort of like fucking fascist or nazi he's just a fucking petulant child yeah he's a piece of shit and so they're all kind of meeting in the throne room to do this and um even Rock at some point is dressed as a maid, tries to shoot Tima in the head. <laughs> Which is a fucking wild ass scene. It was wild, yeah. Can you see? Like, you're introduced to her maid earlier, and then he's he just like, psych bitch, like pulls off perfect latex mask. It's like, ha, dad, I'm a drag queen. I had my dick up between my, my, <laughs> behind my leg for three hours for this bit. You'll love me now. <laughs> and then he's like, let me get it out. Like, I need to adjust it. So he adjusts it. That was actually a five-minute scene, by the way. No. <laughs> of him, like, like, wiggling around. Yeah. Um, also, the this motherfucking rock will not die. Like, oh, shot, <laughs> beat up, dropped, every fucking thing you can imagine to this fucker still doesn't die. You know, it was funny, though, because when, we first, when we're first confronted with Rock, Tima, Kenichi, and Duke Red, Rock just kicks uh, Kenichi in the stomach really hard once. Kenichi's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, Kenichi is landing, laying face down in the snow, not moving whatsoever. We honestly thought the detective died because Rock shot the detective. No hesitation, just shot him. But he shot him in the arm. And then he hits Kenichi once, and Kenichi's just like, I'm dead. <laughs> like, goddamn. It's like, what a wimp this nine-year-old boy is. Am I, but, right? I mean, yeah, because like then later... I mean, I get it. He was drugged, but later, beta. <laughs> later, this nine-year-old boy's a beta cuck. <laughs> That's what you're saying to me. Such a beta male, am I right? Uh, Fucking, he, he see, Rock is the true Sigma. Shut the fuck <laughs> up! God damn. So, so, <laughs> see, like the hierarchy, like beta bitch Kenichi, alpha male Rock, Sigma Giga Chad, Paro. Sigma grind set right there. Okay, baby. well that's because Sigma Para was awesome. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Sigma grind set. Um, but uh, God, these words are just gibberish. God, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I, I fucking hate reality. <laughs> I want I want it to be erased. That's why I love watching <laughs> movies. You're being too quiet. I need you whenever you get into a room. I'm gonna need you to start screaming. I need you to like be louder. Moan, moan for me. I uh, and that's how you'll get more people to like you. 
and uh, you'll just be a better speaker in public. I'm a motivational speaker. What the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> I, I have know. no idea what that was. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was just me tripping balls, but nah, it's maybe like, we're all tripping. <laughs> like I don't. What the? I say, literally, like Colt was just like rabber did scabbard, and then we're just like, what? And, and, and he's looking at us like we're crazy. I, don't I was speaking facts, okay? <laughs> I don't. What fact? There, there was not a single, single coherent thing that was strung together by you, those. You just words said that you, you just used. said you're a a, 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 what, what, a speech coach, and you said moan when you're in a silent room. Sigma grind set, baby. Public speak, whatever. Anyway, um, hey. yeah, Rock gets shot, doesn't die for some <laughs> fucking reason, and Kini- has a building fall on him. Kinichi uh, is so fucking tired. Tima asked some really good good questions. Um, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Duke Red, why are you such a bitch? <laughs> no, yeah, because like she's like, because Duke Red is saying like, but you're not like the other robots. It's like, but I'm a robot. It's like, well, technically, yes, you're a robot. It's like, but I'm human. It's like, no, you're not like the other humans. You're superhuman, but you're a robot. You're a robot. You're not like the other humans who are trash. Like, and, not, and you're not like the other robots that are trash. Yeah, it's like, but it's like, but I'm, but like, then what am I? And that's where she gets pissed. And base, like I said, a Kira moment where she takes the throne and she combines the supercomputer uh <laughs> which like it was insane the room looked insane and she commands all the robots to just start attacking everybody and she also wants <coughs> she also attempts to destroy the world because she's connected to all the earth weapons um Kenichi stops her but uh he he doesn't end up saving her and then you know rock is like like I'd ever let these trashy robots get my father presses a button whole fucking thing explodes and like Colt was saying that song was just ah perfection he's like i'm the only one that can kill me is me and he explodes the reactor of the building making every destroying the whole city all of metropolis is absolutely yeah, like, fucking th- level like literally this building is so big that the debris like destroyed like a hundred i would say a hundred million people died conservatively <laughs> because because the thing is is like the day after or the morning after uh found out fifi survived replaced the pieces but this is where we kind of get into my favorite also one of my favorite parts of this film is the ambiguity of the ending because all the robots are there fifi they all found you know tima's parts but then they all start saying tima 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 like like that and that's where i asked colt well like are they saying they're trying to find and rebuild tima or are they did she because for a moment she connects to every robot's you know robot did she put her consciousness consciousness and split it up? Like, like, like when she like hacked into the mainframe, like this bitch went full matrix, and then like when she's connected to every single facet of, of technology and, and uh, machine in the city, is like is it was there like a ghost of her left behind? Yeah, because we also is she a ghost in the shell? No, actually, they uh, whenever Tima fell from the top of the ziggurat, uh, she landed and she was fine. A, the robots ripped her limb from limb <laughs> and just paraded her body parts around town, and they gave the heart to uh, Kanichi, and then they uh, bragged about it. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, Fuck. Now they now that is actual scene is they gave they gave to Kanichi the heart, um, but that's where it was interesting because then we also get the shot of the radio because that was something that Tima was just really enjoyed 
was this little radio that she found in a junk pile. And then we hear her, like you said, we hear her voice, which I think that if we would have gotten that one shot <laughs> that you were talking about, the, or the one scene, I think that would have kind of like, it would still been am, 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 ambiguous. Ambiguous, fuck. And, but I think it would have kind of like resolved like, okay, maybe they found her parts and built her back. But it's just so funny too, because like you said, uh, estimate 10 million people just died or 100 million because the only living things we see that aren't living or the only moving things i guess are the robots you see you do see a few people i know i don't believe that. but what, what i thought was funny that literally this entire city it's just fucking pandemonium rubble and then it's, it's like everybody dance yeah the robots start dancing uh kenichi is with them the detective uncle flies away smiling and it's like you're looking at a destroyed fucking super yeah, city yeah the whole city gets fucking destroyed uh kenichi's like uncle i want to stay here and the uncle's like fuck yeah bye i'm home <laughs> and also too that plane's taking off what airport is surviving from all that shit like the plane looked cool though it, it was, was a pretty cool little it was plane. massive yeah uh, it was a really great movie. I love the allegories and the homages to the original film. Uh, great animation. I don't understand some people's disdain for 3D in this. Um, great art. Uh, just just a good, really good movie. I enjoyed that very much, that interpretation. Could have used more Simpsons, but it was good. What? Anybody else any, have any opinions on it? I, I really enjoyed it. I really like like we said earlier towards the beginning. Like every shot is dense with things going on, almost to the point where to me, like I was getting sensory overload. Like, you you can like stop any frame of the film and just and, and just sit there and just look look at, at every, everything. Yeah, and 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 like. And a lot of animation, especially like, an, like especially TV anime, like you'll you'll see the like the like the subjects in the foreground will be moving, but everything in the background is just like really still. But like every single thing is moving in every single frame. It's the foreground, the midground, the background. There's always something happening. It's it's machinery. It's life. It's everything. And It'll like be- all the people, all the incidental like crowd people, they all look distinguished and like unique to themselves yeah there's not really much repeating like it's really like the the city's alive and yeah it's pretty crazy i mean like like i told like i said in uh when i was talking about evangelion you know the evangelion rebuild films it's the same thing every time there's a frame there's something going on and my eyes uh get they they hurt and my head hurts. It, it's just it's just that gif of Madara from Naruto. His eyes like ba- exactly. That's it's exactly like, what it is. Like I was literally thinking the same thing. It's just it, it's so there's so much stuff and you know got to give got to give them credit for that as well. Uh, do, do we want to get our star ratings for the film? Sure, we can. All right, uh, Colt, give us yours. Uh, on first watch, uh, whenever I first watched it, I gave it four stars. This time around, I liked it a little bit more, so I upped it up. To uh, four point five out of five. All right, uh, I gave it four stars. I really love the setting. I love a lot of the technical aspects and sort of the thematic things it touches upon. I just wish the characters were a little more engaging to me. Some of them were a little tropey, but n- nothing like nothing any like super offensive or bad. It's, it was just like that could have been fleshed out a little more type of thing. Sure. 
Uh, I gave it four stars. Again, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I basically kind of feel the same way about it that I felt about Metropolis. Like, in terms of rating Metropolis, but I like this more than that's the silent film. Uh, you know, again, technical aspect, great. Animation's great. Uh, just the thematic stuff, I, I kind of <laughs> wish, like, you know, you kind of get that some of the base stuff, but I kind of wish there were certain things that were, like, touched upon, more fleshed out, uh, but they yeah. did kind of, they did, were able to kind of get it close, so I can't, yeah. can't harp on it too much. Uh, for me, it was four and a half out of five, it's just like, just like, it's like a candy store for the eyes, like, I just couldn't get over just to, the technical and artistic craft that's involved with this Hell film. yeah. And, and, and I guess I don't really have too much, like, in qualms with the plot, uh, I guess there's like a there's like a few modes that kind of feel like, but the plot is a little it's like a little laggy here and there. But like, yeah, but not, not, not nothing severe. Like they you know tightened up a little in a spot or two. But that's just my opinion. Um, it's still like a absolute marvel to watch. Oh yeah. If not, if if you're kind of just like tuned out on the plot, whatever, whatever. Like it, if nothing else, you can't deny just the invisible visual impressiveness of it oh yeah yeah if, if, you know even if i wasn't paying attention i feel like i could come away with that film with like the same rating just because of how beautiful it was yeah so i think that wraps up our discussion with metropolis so we're going to take a quick break and be right back with you with discussion of our second film Welcome back, everybody. Part two of the first time, long time movie festival. And with this one, uh, we're going to try to contain ourselves a little bit more. We hope you enjoyed the first half with uh, Metropolis being very uh, exportive in, in our discussion. But we still want to hit all the major points of the last three. So we keep it keep it moving right along. And we have our second film, which is Wenzel's pick. Wenzel will introduce the film that you brought to the table. Fantastic Mr. Fox, directed by Wes Anderson. Uh, I had the criterion of it. I got it forever ago because I was like, I need to pick this up. It's Wes Anderson. I love Wes Anderson, and I've been meaning to watch this for quite a while, and I thought this was a great opportunity to watch that. It's, as far as I can tell, especially when it was advertised, was kind of a children's film, and um, it seems like fun, and it's Wes Anderson, so I got to watch it. It's essential. And after watching it, yes, I think everybody needs to watch it who also wants to watch Wes Anderson or just because it's a really good film it's kind of done in stop motion um the characters you know they're like these little uh these, these very like anthropomorphic woodland creatures like do they have like little like suits and ties and like clothes and stuff but they're at the same scale as they would be as an animal yeah to, which like is, real world <laughs> which really threw me off uh because I thought it was just going to be kind of like a world where these animals have, you know they're not humans so like they're kind of like are like you know shape and size but no humans still very much exist and they are still very much the same size as they are in real life um yeah so um oh well, before we get into like details like for the rest of the cast like um do you have any notions of the film going in or just like was this y'all's first time seeing it as well this is the first time I've seen uh, seen it. Yeah, I remember whenever the trailers were playing uh, on the TV, I was like, "Ooh, this looks really fun. This is fun. I'm uh, ten years old. I'm ten years old. This is so cool." 
Uh, I never watched it until now, and uh, I'm kind of glad I waited because uh, it's not purely a kids' film. There's some jokes for the adults out there. I'll say that it's uh, got some, mm, let's say, adult themes sometimes. There's definitely like some. It, nothing's like a jet snowball. There's definitely like some darker like themes. It, just to like the way the movie's presented, and I guess maybe to plot like it's. It's ostensibly a children's film, although yeah. I don't know if this would hold the attention of, like, the average kid. I don't want to, like, you know, talk down to the child, but also, like, I don't know how well this would appeal to, like, the average kid. Yeah. I just know if I watched this when I was 10, I would, uh, I'd still enjoy it, but probably not as much. I'd just watch it for a pretty picture. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. This was the first time I had seen the movie. I remember the the trailers very vividly when it was in theaters and being very unsettled because <laughs> um, the the little cl- it's not claymation but the little stop motion dolls are using kind of look taxidermied too yeah they look- so so it, it kind of it has this really unsettling quality about it and personally i'm not the biggest fan of wes anderson and it's more so just like i appreciate what he does and his part of film culture but i that's just not me so like i you know i've seen like grand Budapest hotel i wasn't like a huge fan i thought moonrise kingdom was okay but i really fucking enjoyed this movie i thought it was really fucking fun uh this is my second time scene i watched it like oh god like maybe it's been over 10 years. Like, I, I saw it randomly on, like, AMC or something. It was <laughs> it was on TV, like, regular cable TV. Wow. And I was just like, this is very weird and and surreal, but I'm, I'm liking it. And one thing I just thought was so funny, how everyone just speaks at this, like, pace that's just whipped fast and, like, has a cadence that's not really normal, but, like, because you're in this, like, fantastical world, like, you sort of roll with that... <coughs> punch and like i i really appreciate all the film's eccentricities yeah well, well like uh how like tarantino's dialogue has a certain flow to it that's wes, wes anderson wes, wes anderson definitely has a, a like that a, a type of style that's not like it kind of it's just like unnatural naturalness mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's so fast but i can comprehend and understand everything as it's popping at and attacking me. And, and it, it, it's like really like sharp, witty writing. Too. Yeah. A lot of times where it'll, it'll take like a, like a second for me to be like, Oh, that's what that is. And by that time there's been like 10 different jokes. <laughs> yeah. Because like, that's also part of it too is like, you know, it's, it's very humorous. It's very fun. Uh, it's all like the way, the way they speak is kind of like, I don't want to say it's like cool, but it's like it's so like smooth so like you know even though it's like going really fast it's kind of like it's just like you can get it you imagine know? like a what a film student thinks is cool is wes anderson was that was it some like some shot fires here? <laughs> uh wes anderson is cool but okay um and then also you know uh our main character is mr foxy he's a fox and he's played by George Clooney. He's voiced mm-hmm. by George Clooney. And so that's why also I think it's kind of weird for this to be a children's film because the way George Clooney speaks and Wes Anderson's form of writing, it's so like, I don't know if this could keep any child's attention span. <laughs> like, Yeah, like it's not so much that like Pat was saying there's anything like 
inappropriate for children to see. But like, I couldn't imagine being under the age of twelve and and like thinking that anything about this movie because it it's almost like it feels like a director who's most notable for these like compelling like art house art house type of adult dramas that have like a level of absurdity to them try to like contain himself to a family movie yeah and and it, it, it's kind of weird I, I would be interested in see how isle of dogs compares to this and, and plus like I, I do appreciate like if it isn't like you or it may have been marketed as a family film because like it's stop motion it was sort of like separating animation as just a strictly child fair family fair because like that's something I see a lot in art circles is like you can have like very rich cromulent ideas and like you know difficult subject matter and, and sort of like tackling these themes and in an animated setting and, and it doesn't dilute the content at all like just because it's animated yeah. or stop motion doesn't make it less than yeah well, like, not even necessarily like mature and like a 90s comic sort of way but like genuinely like more like emotionally mature writing yeah. yeah you don't really see that a lot in animation and uh with <coughs> with this it just you know it hit the nail on the head for me like with just being fan fucking tastic oh like it's almost like the title was prophetic bro uh <laughs> it's fantastic it's a fantastic <laughs> mr fox like because like also the child aspect child friendly aspect is that instead of saying cut like instead of actually cussing they say cuss they they place any like applicable <laughs> swear word with the word cuss instead of like you're are you fucking kidding me are you cussing kidding me are like, you cussing kidding me or what the cuss or are you cussing me right now <laughs> it's so good and like, i could see how that might get on someone's nerves but i find that little eccentricity really like charming i i mean yeah me too i thought that was great i was like like man this is like big brain shit right here in a, in a bit where you were doing earlier it's like how like even though these are all like animals and they're like in this very like human world but there's like all these little like nods like oh yeah they're just still animals like whenever they eat it's just like just like noisy like ravenous goblins there's so many crumbs (laughs) they're just just, like trying to shovel in this food as as much as they can it's like having that because it's like very like proper society (coughs) of these like cartoon animals and they're just like just like gobbling like trash monsters (laughs) monsters <laughs> uh yeah because for this film too we have like the basic gist of it is that this mr foxy is having to kind of like rein in his animal instincts which is being a fox being tricky because you know his wife played by meryl, meryl streep yeah meryl streep you know they end up having a family because she's pregnant so they have a little kid who's kind of a <laughs> kind of a weird little dude he's kind of a little beta bitch male <laughs> <laughs> His name is Ash. I love him, though. But it's just so funny because I'm like, I think he's a teenager. But then, like, he fucking pops up and he's like, why are you wearing Like, his dad's like, why are you wearing a cape? And wears a cape, like, for, like, the entire uh, film. And I'm just like, why is he wearing a cape? Obviously, to implement his favorite hero, which I think there was a poster for called mm-hmm. White Cape. Like, it, it was just, I, I love Ash. Because, like, Ash being, like, Mr. Foxy's son, like, he's like he's this eccentric kid or he's... Wiggling their hands different. Like, that's how they always describe him. They wiggle their hands for a second. It's like, oh, he's different. And him just feeling inadequate, like, next to, like, his father, like, the, the legends of his father and, like, his seemingly outwardly perfect and accomplished 
cousin that comes to stay with them. Christopherson. And like he, and Christopherson, like he's just like he's just perfect at everything, but like he's not intentionally showing off, like, oh, I'm better than you. Like he he, he's just genuinely like a wholesome dude. Who just happens to be really good. Good at everything. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. I really, I really like the mo. I, I really enjoyed their moments because even with their moments where Ash was kind of being a little shit, it was just still kind of fun. And like, <laughs> like he just would not lay on the fact that his dad was in the hospital. Like Jesus Christ, Christopherson's their cousin, or his cousin, and he has to go stay with him because his dad's in the hospital for double pneumonia. <laughs> um, <coughs> Christopherson looks like he's like what an Arctic fox. I thought I, I thought maybe a Finnick fox. I was thinking that too. I I don't know. The ears on his big, but like the kind of the shape. Yeah, of the face yeah. You're like right. He's a Finnick. He, especially with like how like kind of skinny he is, but also he's taller than Ash. So, but anyway, um, they also live uh, in a nice tree that comes with a best friend, Kylie. Kylie. The, the, Kylie. the possum. Kylie is a possum who is like. Kind of fixing up the place or whatever, and they're, they're living handyman, living, family best friend. He's living handyman who also fishes for minnows, um, and also he has a great bit where he just will just just stare like with hypno like spiral eyes at the camera, just like at random bits. <laughs> and, and it's usually like when like Mister Fox or anyone's going off on this tiny monologue, and then they turn him. Are you listening? And he just like zoned out. He just, but then like he like nods and he's like I he's like do something so I can make sure this is getting through to you. He's like, <laughs> it's so good. And like we see there because like again, Mister Foxy is trying to. Real rein in his animal instincts, so he, you know, he has a family. He buys a, basically a house, which is a tree. Uh, he has a job working as a real estate. No, they no, works for the paper. Yeah, n- newspaper. And you've read my column. You probably haven't. <laughs> and uh, so, but to kind of like get back to his animal instincts, he kind of goes on these little ti- little trips, little heists with Kylie to the three farmers. Who live across from their big factory farm and him trying to like relive his glory days because like it it was cut short with like the birth of his son, so he never got to like have like this proper closeout. He never got like his thief flowers, so to speak. And so for him sort of to assuage his own ego, he's like taking these bigger and bigger risks and like putting his like family family and exposure at risk and like. It comes to a head and literally the entire like Animal, woodland is yeah. run out because like he fucked up. He, he he played too hard. Yeah, and it's really it's really good. Really uh, <laughs> it's so funny. Like oh, man, when I watched it, I knew I was gonna have a good time. I had a great fucking time. I could not stop laughing. It was so fucking good. Because there's a there's also a moment too where like <laughs> we're we're reminded Mr. Foxy, he's like Kylie's like, are you scared of wolves? And he's like, no, I have a phobia of wolves. <laughs> like, that's the same thing. Well, but like, <laughs> like, there's some sort of distinction. Between and then that. later, he does encounter a wolf, and he's like, oh, look at that. It's so beautiful. He's like, hello. And he's like, maybe he doesn't speak English. He's like, oh, he starts speaking French. And then he's like, vulpus, vulpus, canis, or canis lupus, vulpus, vulpus. And then, like, at some point, he's just like, just like fist in the air. air. And then the wolf is like, Fists in the fucking air, and I'm like, yeah, we all cheered. And it's just a funny bit because like they're escaping from like the bad guys, and it's just like this aside is just like it's stuck right in the middle. It just kind of comes out of nowhere, and then when it's over, it's just like as if it never happened. Yeah, and uh, man, it's just it real. It's just such a terribly fun film. Uh, I really appreciate how it balanced comedy and drama. There's some like really like great like comedic writing. There's also like some really sort of 
tense like drama like when his wife finally has enough of Mr. Fox's ways like like in, in a beautiful shot like you see like you see Foxy and his wife on like this thin little bridge and there's like, like a waterfall behind it's them it's fucking up all of our eyes <laughs> it's just like because like it's moving and it, they're standing still so it's just this optical illusion and she has this like moment of regret where like I we, we, I, we, I never should have married you and it's like oh fuck this is real this it, is real it's, real it, yeah it was really like tender and sad um realizing like just because you know they, they may have gotten married but feel like were they actually like meant to be it's just like oh they just got pregnant yeah but yeah, it, yeah. somehow they they make it work in the end and like i just love all the characters it's just a really really i forgot how fun the movie was it, it's so good and um again i have the criterion of it so i really want to like when i get a chance go back to it because it comes with a little booklet that kind of like has um an essay about it and there's also a bunch of just like additional stuff for it because it's just it's such it, it like you said it like balances drama and comedy it's such an interesting film also just for wes anderson um it's just ah, another ah, just masterpiece from him i uh I, i'm glad i finally watched it any what are you, you know i know we've been talking but what about everybody else I really liked it. Kylie, baby. I like Kylie a lot. Kylie is baby. I love Possum, so any Possum character, I'm going to automatically love. Uh, I, I love these scenes when they're just digging uh, underground because oh, it's, like, so, super it, it has flat, like, but, like, 3D as well. I really like that. Yeah, it has this very, uh, very uh, Scooby-Doo type of quality. Yeah. So they're all, like, standing in the line, like, digging down to, like, this, like, anthill-like perspective, like, underground and it has like this like bluegrass music playing like, as they're like running away from like the farmers oh, and stuff fuck. yeah the one of the uh one of the characters he starts doing like a bluegrass song and he's like i just improvised it on like his boss gets mad, pissed at him it's like but that was a fun song like can't capture uh no, you're just speaking to versus like that's not real music yeah uh. like improvise like a lot of music's improvised what are you talking about and that takes great skill to like just make up shit as you're singing it <coughs> and it's like it'd still be fun and like hell wayne brady's career i mean oh, seriously mm-hmm. also another thing i really liked was uh whenever the farmer sent a note to the uh the animals uh he cut out letters in the magazine and they're like why do you why do you do that uh he's like oh it's because we don't want to so that we don't figure out who it's from but he says his name signed right there <laughs> he's like oh yeah they did sign it <laughs> and then uh whenever they sent a response letter they did the exact same thing he's like why did why they cut out the letters from a magazine it's like because you did and he's like whatever <laughs> uh, one bit i loved is like when uh they're they're getting ready to do their big getaway, and you see them run over to like a motorcycle and with a sidecar, and then like a, a one that's okay, this human size, and, they, and then the one that's their size <laughs> runs out from behind it. It is so good because it's not explained. It's it's just kind of there, and it's, it's just like, a gag. and it doesn't need to be because you know a bunch of fucking talking animals. Like who gives a shit? Also, that one psycho farmer who had donuts filled with foie gras. Ugh. Oh, oh god. Fuck. Ugh. Ugh. Which is like that sounds like the most repulsive. It sounds fucking mm, disgusting. Liver and donuts. That's all they eat. That's all they eat. Because like one fucker eats like twelve whole chickens a day. Three other, for breakfast, three for lunch, three, uh, three for, for dinner, dinner and, and I then, think three for snacks or something. Or like dessert, that. something like that. Yeah, three for dessert. Yeah. And then like one the one fucker eats donuts filled with foie gras, which is like fatty goose livers, and the other fucker just. Apparently, subsists off of almost nothing but alcoholic cider. <laughs> it's really interesting. Which <laughs> um, is like the, their meal is based off like what their farm produces. Yeah, 
Um, uh, William Defoe played a rat. He did play he a did. rat. He was that little sneaky little bitch. Little fucking rat. <laughs> um, speaking of the digging, though, there were the parts in there where they got to dig under like each, I think, uh, farm with all the other animal members. It was so good because as soon as they get into the compound, they just start dancing. It was so fucking good. That's like how they like owned them. It's just like, you know, we're going to come in your joint and just start dancing. <laughs> it's so it's so good. Obviously, this is uh, it's a, a lot of fun. Very quirky, very eccentric. You know, West Hedron has like his big fans and may not be for everybody, but I feel like this is worth checking out. Personally, I gave it four stars. I it's a great time. I can't really say like any one thing I d- did or didn't like, but that's kind of just like the, the vibe I felt. The give was a four, but yeah. Very strongly recommended. You could see that. Uh, four and a half stars. I really, really loved it. Uh, I, I love uh, Owl Dogs more, but uh, this was a very, very fun time. I really enjoyed this. This Out of everything I've seen from Wes Anderson, which is admittedly not a lot, this is definitely far and away my favorite thing he's done. I gave it a four and a half. I thought it was really enjoyable. Hell yeah. I, I loved it. And with how much I've seen of Wes Anderson, which kind of isn't a lot either but in comparison i like i give it five stars and i put it up there with grand budapest i really really liked it um or sorry i loved it it was it was great it was a great time very nice now we move on to something more painful yeah um this is definitely the more content sensitive portion of the show blanket trigger warnings for like sexual assault violence and Things of that nature. It's a very, it's a very strong film, but also it comes with a lot of strong themes and content. So viewer discretion advised for people who are more sensitive to things like that. Yeah, we'll we'll provide timestamps to skip this if you. Yeah, it's, especially if you want to just watch it yourself and see about it, and you know, because de- definitely with this film, while we sort of gone to more details on the other, this is very much dependent on viewing. Like it, to me, like with the the. The subjects of the film with true sort of the mystery and the, the revelations of it, it deserves to be watched for those who, who think you'll be able to, to sit through it. But just going forward, we will be discussing strong spoilers in addition to everything else in the, in the in this segment. Yeah. yeah. All right. And so this was Jonathan's film. If you would, please introduce it and uh, start us off. Apparently, I was just said, I'm not going with the theme that these these dudes are doing i'm going really fucking depressing i chose a 2010 film by denis Villeneuve on sunday uh or yeah, i've seen it translated to scorch fire things like that uh it follows the uh these two uh two twins uh where their mother suddenly goes catatonic and dies and she's the secretary for this lawyer who writes up a will for her and, and set things up, uh, up for them to find their lost, their thought-to-be-dead father and a brother they didn't know existed and in the Middle East. Uh, interspersed with this are flashbacks to the mother's life uh, and, and, ha- and how the, the past and the present interweave to show, like, Continuing cycle of violence, things like that. Really painful and a lot of twists and turns. So this is your last warning. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. I want to, before we get into it, I really want to encourage you, if you have any slight interest in this movie, 
please go watch it. Yeah. If I, I recommend any of these movies, it depends on the person, really. If you can, can, if you're not sensitive to stuff like this, you should go watch this. It's a phenomenal movie. Yeah, if you have any interest in this director's filmography, go check it out. I I consider it essential as well. Uh, like, uh, <coughs> it's 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 an experience. What we're going to touch on is not going to be the full story. And uh, honestly, it's not. It's going to be the worst way to experience a story if you get spoiled. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah for like, sure. It's going to be very disjointed because like this film is very dense. And it's just like, and just like our general bullshit ways, but I, I can't, under, I can't understate like how much this deserves to be watched, um, because because there's a twist in it. That there, there are like five twists in this. Movie oh too. yeah, but like it, like the biggest one because you know with everything that's happened, the twins are set basically on a journey, and the twist of it all is just so like the, jo- a jaw dropping final revelation. It's so just. Oh, it, it needs to be experienced. Uh, Wait, which do we just want to go ahead and uh, jump I, I think, into the? I the, feel like with this one we can still walk through the. We plot. need to walk through it because <laughs> it's definitely a journey, just like the film itself. But not, but not hitting like yeah. beat for beat. Yeah. Uh, I, I think like we'll start with the very opening shots of the movie, which is of the the little boy getting his head shaved, becoming. A soldier in military too, and it's all set to Radiohead, uh, you and whose army, and it's just this really haunting, and, and there's even like a shot of his uh, ankle, ankle that has the three dots that were tattooed, or his heel, his heel, heel, heel yeah. sorry, heel, <laughs> that were tattooed on his heel at uh when he when he was born, and it's I didn't realize that like going in like how much. There's a lot of stuff that gets introduced, like, in the first half. I was having... It was... Like, y- y'all were kind of saying, it was kind of... I was kind of feeling my way through the dark on it. Yeah. Because it, it's like... It, it's Because they throw a lot at you at once. And some of the stuff you don't... Even by the end of the movie, you don't really have the full context for. And that's done on for purpose. But, yeah... I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, yeah, so like when the film, the when the film starts, it's like you're kind of like like you said in the dark. It's very vague, mysterious because you know we're having to unravel this mystery just like the twins. Um, because we see this boy, we see him looking very angry at us. You know, like, he has, it, it, it really is uncanny like to see like this what eight nine year old boy just like staring down the barrel of a camera and it just like with a palpable emotion it's really disarming it's just seething anger such an i like such a recognize like such a very intense jawline too by the way which is yeah. important <laughs> yeah um because remember that jaw everybody because later uh you know again the three tat the three little dot tattoos is important because later our uh our two twins mother we go back in time and we find out that this mother, she's she's trying to run away with this man. His name is Wahad. Um, and her brothers catch up to her. Wahad gets killed, which is like, I was just like, what the fuck? Um, uh, and, and there's a lot of moments in this movie because a lot of it's set during uh, uh, unknown civil war. Yeah. It, and, and so there's just a lot of 
very frank depictions of like murder and yeah death. and uh we find out that she's dishonored her family because apparently she's christian and the person that she was just with was a refugee who was muslim and she's pregnant yeah and she has a child and at birth this child is <coughs> given three dots on their heel and so automatically we know okay that's the brother that they're looking for. Whoever this person is, that's mm. them. And we don't ever see them again. And the the mother herself doesn't really know where he's at. We, you know, take him to an orphanage and then we find out later that orphanage has been destroyed. And the war... During the warfare, because she was... She made a promise to her grandmother. It's like, we won't disown you if you give up the child. We'll give you a hint at that how the he could be tracked down, but you must have to, like, leave and go to school. And when she's, like, in college... Like she still gets wrapped up in like the politics and the warfare because like during like the 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 conflict between like the Muslim and the Christian states, it's just like a lot of just like bloodshed and warfare. And then when she goes to look for her child after the fact, like she's really walking on foot into like the heart of darkness to find him. And these where she finds out he was sent after he was born. The building was destroyed. The orphanage was destroyed during the attack of the Christian armies. Yeah, and sort of how the getting to that, like the structure of the movie, is it'll show one or both the twins going off, making discoveries, meeting certain people, and then it cuts back to the past where it shows a chunk of the mom's life. Kind of going in the same <coughs> direction, especially with the shots. That they that they did, uh, kind of like mimicking the journey between the mother and one of her twin daughters. Because the, the yeah. daughter of Jean, she's more or less the the chief protagonist in the present, or, like, or at least for like the first half of the movie. Yeah. Because like her brother is very much like resentful of their mother, and it's like he's not part of this big scavenger hunt. But she wants to find out, so she goes through like hell and creation to like into like the very far remote part of the countryside and i think for both jean's story and her mother and the wall like it's it's like it's it's like this quietly harrowing journey until it gets like straight up horrifying how this one tiny person walking through the middle of all this rubble and damage and just even just like a big country that's unfamiliar to you like uh, he, he feels like you're. He feels so small and he feels so vulnerable. And that's like one of the most impactful things I felt from the like, yeah, the first half <laughs> yeah. Of the yeah. Or yeah. even just seeing like what we were talking about with the juxtaposition between the timelines of the story, like how you see like just the brutal carnage in the past and sort of how like everything in the present's more overgrown and you you sort of see the uh, the the scars from that conflict. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, in, you know, especially in, like, in the landscape as well as with the people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, but <coughs> there's also an important scene that basically, like, it's, 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 it's weird. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'll, I'll, my reference, I'll come back to later. But anyway, there's an important scene where she, you know, she hasn't given up, but she can't, she can't locate her son. So she takes a bus ride and pretends to be Muslim. Uh, just removes her necklace well, and, and puts and, on a And the thing is, is the, the, this comes from like a scene that cuts to show like all like her college and when the the college got overrun, she yeah. she said she was going. She's she started looking for her son. She fled it during like the 
when like the Christian armies were sort of like Christian militias were sort of like taking more presence. Yeah, you know? and the, there is a good chunk of the movie. It'd probably be about twenty minutes or so. A lot of her just like wandering, talking to people, seeing where she can locate, until she gets the bus that you were talking about, and then she gets on a bus before that, and I'm like, oh fuck. We're at this part of the movie, and there, there's a very there's a there's a time when Jonathan was talking about it earlier. It might have been another episode or just like it privately. He said, "There's a moment with a bus, and that's all I say." And I was like, "Oh fuck, is this the bus? Was this the bus they were talking about?" <laughs> yeah, and, and then and then it didn't happen. I'm like, "Okay, it's later," and, and she pretends to be Muslim to get on this bus, uh, and she falls asleep. And when she wakes up, they're surrounded by Christian militias. Yeah, which at like. Which you can tell, like, it's not like, um, you know they're Christian because of, of their actions, but, like, you really don't know how like, how hardcore they are until later. And it, 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 for, for, I guess, greater detail, this isn't just, like, these aren't, like, white Christian. These are, like, you know, Middle Eastern, like, like citizens of the, of the country, like, who also, who, who are, like, who believe Christianity. And sort of the, like, like, like very... Tensions filled in like straight up violent conflict between Muslim and Christians, and which leads to like just massacre by the Christian militia where they shoot down the bus, with the sole survivors being the mother and these refugees who is a mother and a child. And because the mother in the wall was raised Christian, she she holds out her necklace was of a crucifix to be let out, and she has a moment of. Like this, this harrowing moment. She looks at the mother and the child, and, and it's like, "I'll take your child with me." <coughs> yeah. And uh, she pretended that the that was little the, girl was, was her child and so attempt like, to save the little girl. But then the the Christian militia they shoot the, the the remaining mother and set the bus on fire. But the little girl, she's just uh, just distraught, so she runs back to the bus, and the militia members kill the little girl. And, yeah. and, and it's very just like Frank. I forgot how like brazen that is to show like that level of like violence towards children. Yeah, it, I mean, and the thing like because that's usually like a big, I, which I guess that should be another trigger is like violence towards children because wow, uh, it's like a, it's even like an uh, it's like a shot from far away and then you just see the child running and the man. It's a, it's a horizon shot. Yeah, just yeah. Point blank, just, just shoots like her. just no emotion, just executed like an animal. Uh, and and the in our care in our main character's mother or the mother is the wall. Um, you know, she since she's Christian, they just kind of leave her there, and the bus is just scorching. Yeah, and, and it leads to probably the most iconic shot of the film of her just like it's her in, face in shock as like in the background the bus is on fire, and there's a dead child on the ground, and then it cuts it smash cuts immediately to. Her daughter on a train wearing the same necklace her mom used to save herself. Yeah, because yeah. that was one of the few effects that her mother had left that the daughter inherited, and like just so you just had left this fucking gut punch of like what her mother went through in that instance, and then she, and the mother takes to make the decision that she's. After what they what she witnessed, she and what happened, what she believes happened to her son, she involves herself with this like antagonistic group to take revenge. So she gets hired on as a tutor to the leader of the Christian militia, 
and uh, the tutor French because that was something that she went to school for was to learn French. So the um so like the Christian militia's leader, they're like he was like I want my son to learn different languages. So they hire her on and I and like um it you know it's obviously a way to get close because there's a good uh there's a scene it's very brief but where she's talking to the group that she's a part of and and she's like um or the i think the man is like but you're christian too and she's like i i'm going to teach the enemy you know what they taught us what they yeah. taught me and then also it, it shows shots of the christians who attacked the bus they have literally pictures of the virgin mother mary Taped onto their fucking the, gun. The, the, the the sock of their rifles onto just, their like fucking AK forty seven. Yeah, and then they have like golden cross necklaces like that are bejeweled like to hell, <laughs> like some like Vatican shit. And, yeah, it's like shit you would get at like fucking like buckle. <laughs> okay, it, it, like it looked like affliction design, and it, it is just like so haunting. You know, like you know, of course Christianity has this deep and dark uh, history, but like you know this sort of popular connotations oh this is a religion of like peace and love or like that's what religion is supposed to be for like love and compassion and understanding and it's used for the most brutal wanton violence possible well and the thing is is like the thing that it, that makes that bus scene so impactful is how senseless it all is at the end of the day because this is just a bus full of civilians it's it's mostly women and children too. It's like what sort of fighting are they going to do? They're just trying to escape. Yeah. escape. yeah. And they get killed in the most ruthless and and like just malevolent sort of cold like I am uh, on my team and you're on the opposing team and bam, you're dead. If you're not with me, if you're not with me, you're against me. That mindset that even if you're a passive party in a sense, but you're 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 allied with, you know, my opposition. Therefore, you're just as evil and destructive. Which so you must be exterminated. Which is like that's a harrowing concept that people have lived through. That mm-hmm. and it still exists today because, like, you know, people watching this might think like, what uh, what Christians would do that? And it's like, look at history. <laughs> look at it's like look at history. Look at all of history. There are a lot of Christians who would do that, and they even did it in even more brutal ways and, and and it's not limited to christianity just like how any you know not to mock anyone with a faith with a belief Ideolo- it's, it's just, ideology it's just like how any form of belief or like can be morphed into something d- destructive and violent yeah because there, there's even like a radical set of buddhism that was like <coughs> decapitating people like, so yeah. like, anything can turn into I like mean, a violent there was, and this is sort of the problem with dogmatic thinking because it you start forming like these thought determining cliches that shut down your critical thinking. So at a certain point, it's like, well, I can justify this because I am in the right because I serve this particular deity or this, this ideology. Ideology. I believe this certain political ideology that I believe correct and will do absolutely anything to see this achieved. <laughs> and, and like, like Peacemaker is like, I'm going to achieve peace, and then I'll do it if I have to kill every man, woman, and child to get it. That was exactly what I was going to fucking <laughs> say, John. Get out of my head. <laughs> no, it, it's, like, crazy, and too. And then especially, like, with, like, America and how mm-hmm. it's treated, and in the war in the Middle East and how it's treated Muslims and its Muslim citizens. Yeah. And it's, like, it's very, like, you know, you get, like, you get that from this. And I, like, because it's, like, it's, like, like the, the, the picture that people have used 9-11 and, you know, they've they've certain attacks they've used to paint 
any sort of person from the Middle East or a Muslim. It's just it's awful and terrible. And it's like um, because it, because, you know, <laughs> like it's not like it's it, it's just mind boggling. These these fuckers who just just kill because like my God is different. Your God's different from my God. So I think you need to die. Or there was well, a magic, there was a magic baby born <laughs> in the desert. So I got to kill you. Also, can somebody cut the skin off my penis? <laughs> just believe yeah, what the, you want to believe and don't try to kill someone. Just cause like, yeah, it's just like, let people live their fucking lives. It's all right. No, no, because you know what? I got to make sure you don't go to hell. So I'm going to brutally murder you. You're not helping anything. <laughs> Which like, it's one of those things you think about for any length of time is like wow this is fucking stupid but you know you know people who do have that zeal like it is i mean in the end hard to temper them. those kinds of people aren't really religious they are insane psychopaths, or, or though, though you, it's monsters. not even necessarily the religion's fault a lot of time it's they're using yeah their religion to justify certain things i mean yeah that's, that's i mean that. granted like religion does even Oh, most religions have very pernicious aspects to them, in, in like, essentially, but... But that's also because of, like, that's, like, you know, time and different, you know, figures of power getting their hands on it and altering it to fit their means. Exactly. So it's, like, so, like, who knows what is, you know, what is meant to be, what it's meant to be. It's just, it's all fucked up. Well, and, and, and it's not even just, like, the Christians in this movie, like... They, they paint the Muslims in a fairly similar light. Like, granted, not to the extent of the Christians, but it definitely goes out of its way to muddy the waters like, with what's, like, going on. Because it's, like, I mean, not, it, not everybody is, like... No no, no, one, no, no one's, like, necessarily correct in this situation. Yeah, no one every, comes out clean. And plus, it's, it's just being honest that, like, regardless of what religious side of the sand they were on, like, there was unspeakable crimes done in the name of it whether mm-hmm. oh yeah whether or not they're, they're, they're not, even if they're even if what they're fighting for is justified there is a certain line that you, you ethically morally shouldn't cross and <coughs> we see the mother sort of like traverse like her, these lines herself as she sort of gets deeper and deeper out of the love for her child or like the to to to, to get recompense for that where she assassinates the leader to Christian militia and she's thrown into jail for 15 years. Yep. Yeah. And she's brutally tortured. Well, and also like the whole, the major theme of this movie is sort of the cycle of violence and how like the main, like how, one of the main reasons why that scene with the bus is so pivotal is up to that point, she's just trying to search for her lost son. It's after that where she's like, I want the enemy to feel the pain that I felt during this moment, which is absolutely, which was something that was absolutely horrific and traumatic. And then she, she assassinates this president, which I'm not saying, you know, probably a good thing because this guy sounded like a fucking asshole. I mean, he was, but was, was that, but like that, that choice, like, that, but that choice leads her to go to be put into prison and, I'm trying to walk this because I don't want to sound victim blamey. Like this, what happens to her is her fault because it's not. But you know, it's how these these events cascade to one another to lead to just more violence, and how by the end of it, she wants to cut it off where it is currently. Yeah, and when because when she's stuck in jail for 15 years, as you know, her daughter is still like. 
piecing it together. Like we said, we kind of jump back and forth between the present and the past. And her, she finds out her mother was in jail, and she finds the guard. You find because you find this other revelation that she got uh, pregnant via via rape. rape in jail, and just and you start thinking like, oh fuck, does she have? Is there like a fourth child out there, or a fourth sibling that in this family? Because she has, you know, the child we knew as, um, but we find out that from like their who they think is their father. She's like, okay, this is the this is the boy with the three dots on their heel. This just the one they're looking for. And then she came branded via her uh, her abuser, a a, a, a torture especially in a, a Tabo wreck. And you, in in this moment, you're getting another like clue as to this bigger narrative yeah this is sort of like one of the first like big twists of the movie because you think think there's a fourth child or or or, or not even just he was like it was like you're trying to make sense of everything and people are conflicting themselves and conflicting each other because uh (coughs) john she thinks that the children that the child born this prison is her brother, the one they're looking for, but we know as the audience that's not not true yeah, that's, because her you know, brother was born irony. way back, way and, before then. And they the person were. they think that their father is Wahad, and they were told that her, their father was killed during uh, war. The war. The, 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 yeah, the war, which he kind of was because we find out very well, very it's, early. It's before the it's before the war, but Wahad is killed. Uh, now he does have a child. It's that the first child, but that's it. There's yeah. no possible way that he could have ever conceived twins. So, 15... so, so these twins are a product of rape. Right. Because and, be, they, they were born in this prison. Because And we know that that's a confirmed fact because she gives birth. And then the nurse that helps deliver says, all right, we got the first one. Here comes the second. And then they're there. And then the nurse, because usually what they do, because Abu Tarek, you know, or maybe other whoever torture specialist guards have gotten women pregnant. So <coughs> when they have, when the child is born, they just throw them in the river. Yeah. But in this scenario, uh, the nurse or the midwife takes them and says, I'll, I'll take them because they come from the woman who sings, which was something that her mother was known for being in the prison that no matter how much she was brutally tortured, she just kept singing. And um, she had just had this iron resolve that, that no one could like break her spirit. Yeah, despite and the, the point of the rape was to stop the singing. But it it did uh, now, and that and there wasn't one. It was multiple times we were told. Yeah, yeah it, and it was like over the course. Of this years. is like toward the like toward the end of her captivity, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it it is, but it was still like probably years. <laughs> I mean, granted, one time is too many. But. Yeah, yeah, no, because as soon as she has the as the has the twins, they say like we'll let you go. Because they, they some for some reason a part of this deal, quote unquote, was that she had to have twins in prison, and then once she had the babies, they could they would let her go, and that's what happened. Yeah, and um, then and then she was sensibly forced to move to Canada. Yeah, because she later made contact with the leader of the, the organization uh, she allied herself. She allied with. with, and they were like, you know, what you did for us was incredible. Thank you. You're you're basically family for us. You know, your family is our family. We'll take care of you and your children and, you know, however, like, you know, you got to you, you got to relocate and we found your twins. You got to take them with you. You got to live a life away. So, you know, she moves to Canada and basically lives the rest out out her life uh, in Canada. And um, I don't know how I should approach this about the torture Abu Tarek, but um 
Well, because uh, they, 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 the twins sort of they go, go, they reunite and, and, and overseas. You'll, you'll probably think it's like, you're, they're not really talking about the present plot that much. And it's mostly because the present plot is the siblings trying to figure out the past. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to figure out what is essentially the main plot of this movie, which is what their their mother's past. Yeah. And, and they start meeting with all these other people. Yeah. And by this point in the movie, uh, the brother finally gets roped into it after much protest. Because the brother is very much like, oh, I don't want to. Yeah, they're, they're notary. Like, this, this seems ridiculous. I just want to bury my mother, get rid of, you know. But the notary wants to respect and honor <coughs> her will. Like he's, he's very determined to make sure like the, the will is followed to the letter. Because, because Simone is like, he's just like, you know, like, why do you care? And it's like. Because I mean, really, the the notary was like, we you know we loved your mom, we loved you guys. Like, yeah, because she she was a secretary to this lawyer. Yeah, for almost twenty years, and they very much cared for them, and they want to make sure everything's taken care of after. And so Simone is pulled in. They go to this wherever it is. Uh, they pull in another um, I, local notary, notary, and to kind of help unravel this. And it's at this point that the the, the focus starts to shift back into into present to find the the missing brother because they find out you know where he was they find a name his name is Nahad Nahad of May because you know he, did, he was he was an orphan so they just kind of gave him a, a distinction to separate himself from the other boys and like through a lot of rigmarole they're able to find out where he was from this like one former warlord or current warlord we don't really know yeah because what happens is <coughs> Nahad is again at that orphanage. The orphanage gets destroyed and the children get captured and Nahad is um, recruited in. Now, Nahad at the time is at a Christian orphanage, gets recruited into basically... Um, like, like the Muslim. The Muslim side, side? yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then... Uh, but then he gets captured again and gets converted back to the Christian side. Or it, it, the, At least the impression I got is not necessarily converted... It's just like by the time he get he gets captured by the Christians again, he kind of has this like just nihilistic blood rage. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, and, he, and he's just like as long as I'm like fucking causing as much mayhem. Yeah, he, he's hungry for war because like he's been like he was captain. He was taken in by the one military military group, made into a soldier, made into a weapon. He's this proficient sniper. Then when he's recaptured again, it's just like you know what? If you want to make destruction so bad, because you kind of lost your way. You couldn't find your own mother on your own. You just want to like cause havoc. You can be our weapon now too, because that, that, yeah. that's what he—he he just made it to look this blunt instrument. And, and they and uh, he changes his name to Abu Tariq, which, which is the which is the man who tortured and raped, raped the woman who who he didn't realize was, was his, his own mother. mother. And by that means, he th- their brother f- fathered them. So they have a brother father, and this poor woman gave birth to her son's kids. It's really like, like levels of fucked up. Like this it, woman was molested <coughs> by her son and gave birth to her children through him. And the, the scene where the brother is sort of used to suss out the, the former warlord, I thought was a really great scene where he's blindfolded and you see and who you led to believe is the leader he's kept out of focus away from the brother and you you just hear someone speaking and then once they sort of 
gauge the situation he's blind for a second off and he's taking speaks to who is actually the war who's speaking the whole time it's just like it's we a get, we get misdirection on the audience part. yeah I, I love that because it's like <clears throat> because like when he reveals who he is what he's looking for what's going on the warlord is like whispers like hey get everybody out everybody leaves and it's just them it's very intimate personal because of the revelation that's about that was about to come and it's that and it's just um yeah so <laughs> whenever i said the jawline abu Tarek, when we first see him the same jawline as the kid and i like it wasn't until like moments after i i like i'm sitting there and i'm thinking like i'm not even thinking hard it literally just hits me and i'm like man i was like that abu Tarek has a really strong jaw and then i look at john i'm like i literally cover my mouth i'm like no I was like, no way. And because, like, around the same point in the movie you figured it out was when I figured it out. And, and even I was like, they wouldn't do that, would they? I'm just crazy. No, they went there. I, I was like, I, I was so <laughs> shocked. And at that moment, I was like, I'm like, this is 100% going to happen. This is 100% true because it's, it's right there. And it ended up being true. And I was just, it was just so fucking devastating i i my mm-hmm. like oh my god because there's another moment because now her no like abu Tarek and uh nawal nawal's her name yeah the the the, the mother yeah, the mother they didn't know they just they were strangers yeah. but then later when she's older she's had her kids her kids are adults she's in a pool with because like after we get the big bombshell that abu Tarek was their brother and it, also it, their father. It cuts back to a, like a, a more recent flashback of that shows why the, her, their mother became so catatonic. Why she just basically she just like kind of just just went silent completely. And she's at a pool. She's swimming. She gets to the uh, the the edge or whatever, and she's kind of sitting there. There's some guys talking. She looks at the guy's heel. Has the same tattoos. The three dots. The three on dots. Right heel. Then she looks. Gets out of the pool, looks at him. It's him. It's him. And that's when she realizes, holy shit, this is my son and this is my rapist. Yeah, and and, and her mind just kind of breaks. And it, it's absolutely shattered. It, it, it's just, it's insane. And that's also something else we learned too is that Abu Tarek doesn't have a death certificate. That means he's still alive. And, or, he, or he was never confirmed to, to be dead. Yeah. So basically, he 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 fled the country and assumed a new identity in Canada, and the sort of culmination of now the the, the twins in present day know the full story, and they sort of and they manage to track him down in Canada, and they hand him a, a package that has the letter that they were they were told by their mother's will to give to the father, to their father and to their brother. And, of course, them being one and the same, they give them to Nahad. He's got both fucking letters. And to the moment where he, when Nahad read, because he just lived like a janitor, like a bus cleaner, just an ordinary job, despite the fucking, you know, life as a soldier. Atrocities. Life, this, all the yeah. war crimes he did, living like just a normal life. When he gets back to his apartment and reads the letters, it's probably the biggest emotional blow because he reads the letter to the father first, which is him reading his mother's letter addressing him as her rapist. Yeah. Which is, you know, 
just like he's like fuck you, you 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 hurt me and just blah blah blah. Your children will deliver this letter, and then when he realizes that he runs outside, they're already gone. And then when he reads the second letter, which is uh, Noel addressing him as her son, that despite the brutality that he visited upon, that he, he she forgave him, that she still loves him. She still loves him. <laughs> And she loves their children. And it's like, it's so fucking, it's so complex because how, like, how, how, how? It, it, it kind of seems like two antithetical Point. ideas. It, it seems kind of cognitively dissonant. But with things like this fucking disturbing and complicated, like. You can't really know you, unless you, you, you can't, the like, one. rationally, you know, justify it. Unless, unless you've been in this situation, you can't, you know? And like, and I feel like in the hands of a less experienced director, this could come off unnecessarily like edgy or graphic for the sake of being graphic. Yeah. But like it's handled with such grace for something as dark and as fucked up as this is. And, and, and a lot of it I think comes down to it's, this is originally based off a play by the same name. And kind of based off the lives of this uh, Lebanese, Lebanese like communist freedom fighter yeah. sort of thing, it, it, loosely, very it is like very loosely, like kind of just the framework. And the main, like the whole main conflict of the movie, like the the war that's talked about, is never really elaborated on. There's like hints that it may be Lebanon, Palestine. There's like a lot. It's kind of like mixed together, and it's because the playwright. I think he had family that were in the Lebanese Civil War in, mm. like, the 70s to the 90s. And he didn't feel like he... He didn't feel comfortable sort of appropriating that story. Yeah. Because okay. he wasn't the one who went through it. But I have seen, like, certain, like, criticisms of the movie of how it being not specific uh, kind of robs it of... robs it of some authenticity or... Something like it's just that. like this very vaguely yeah. defined like Middle Eastern dispute. Yeah, we, but you can say like certain like certain like like countries and like the specificity of like who these groups are would kind of give it more potency. It's like okay, this yeah. is yeah, but at it, the same time like just this, just considering like all the sort of the history of violence and continued violence in the Middle East, I feel like kind of like not pointed like a, a direct finger like a certain warring group or faction outside of just like generally Muslim and Christian like I feel like that's a I feel like a, a safe way to do it yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it's one of those things like it's, it's, a, it's just a it's very a, subjective a, thing yeah yeah because and most of the, the criticism was coming from people who survived it who was like this, this feels like parts of my story but it also feels like you're kind of coming in and taking what you want from it. yeah it, it, it's a really complicated thing that i'm a white person and probably shouldn't be talking about my opinions on but uh yeah and and on top of all this yeah i think one of the big influences obviously is oedipus oh yeah because the, the the playwright specifically set out to write something with like the level of greek tragedy and, and, and while like even reading like because like things like these ancient stories have been done and done and overdone to death. You know, you kind of lose the impact of what those stories provide. But with this, I think you really get the full emotional impact. And for me personally, like I felt more of it 
the second time through than the first time. Because the first time, I was just kind of reeling from the shock of the whole thing. Because <laughs> it is just a lot. But when you have the full context of the story and watching through it again and seeing how all the pieces are meticulously placed to lead up to that conclusion, it, it, it makes a lot of the earlier scenes a lot harder Yeah, to, to sit through. Um, and, and there were multiple moments when I was tearing up during this movie. Like, speaking of a, like, a callback, we, we find out that Jean, she's in school. Um, she's like... Uh, an assistant uh, she's a mathematician and um when the brother finds out about their father and their brother he tells her like in the in the one language that she can understand which is or one of the like <coughs> one of the languages that she knows the best which is math uh he says how can and he's like can one plus one equal one and in that moment she like kind of likes out a shriek and covers her mouth and she knows and i mm-hmm. i thought that scene was v- like just as shocking without having to like straight up explain what happened just like having this coded way of of detailing this like horrifying revelation and way of calling back to the original that original portion of the film where like where she is like this this professor with like theoretical mathematics where like just regular thought and it doesn't apply here and it's just how just emotionally devastating that is and that to me was that scene and the scene where Nahai was reading the dual letters. That's the part that, like, I was really, I was really almost tr- really trying not to cry, just like blubber. Because, yeah, especially the, when he was reading the second letter and just had that final shot of him staring at the grave and then the music starts and it's this really haunting piece. It's just. Yeah. Because I, because uh, <laughs> it's like the the will, you know, it makes them go on a journey and it has really specific instructions. And one of the things was that, you know, if everything is completed, then you can, she, she for her um, gravestone, you can put her name on it with an epitaph. And um, it's like, so they completed it. It was put there so that Nahad, Abu Tarek, knows exactly <laughs> where she is and... It's it's just um, not a single good thing happened. Nothing but pain. It's one of those things when you just like, wow, that's fucked up. Like the bus scene, it gets much worse. Like and but also it was it was just so like it was finally getting also reading the letter that was left for the twins was just also really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And, And one of the things I enjoy about this movie, especially like on a second time watch, despite you know. Setting aside, like, the more, like, troubling aspects of the movie, like, a lot of the triggering stuff, I feel like this movie is written in such a way that it, it's a good, like, beginner movie to understand media literacy with in the sense of, like, fi- like looking into, like, symbolic meanings. So, a lot of the stuff is very blunt. Uh, especially like for me on the second time through, it's like, oh, this is how the like the mechanics of this movie work. And what one thing I really appreciate is that people who are able to tell a story with minimal dialogue. It's just like you know implied meaning, just through the use of like visual cues and like, and how a lot of the film is just quiet, and you're just sort of left mm-hmm. to, with your own thoughts. How as like you're racing having- and confused as you are, and just seeing this woman who's 
quiet to herself and has her own thought. You're just like, what the hell is she thinking? What is she going through? It's like both the mother and the daughter go in these sort of parallel journeys. And one bit even I I just thought was like interesting outside of that was when the brother is being led to the man who would be the warlord to figure out the plot how two men are sent for him and they and the brother walks through a metal detector and then the two men go through it and the metal detector goes off and there's no dialogue but you're still like you realize that these men if you didn't know before these men are dangerous yeah yeah it's just like the way things are communicated it's very blunt and in your face but it doesn't come across as like try hard or clumsily handled. No, nothing in this movie, at least to me, and I was I would say for the rest of us, it feels like it's gratuitous or exploitative. It's just very Or direct. even like pretentious yeah. or like up its own ass. Even things like something as simple as like the whole like weaving of the uh the abstract mathematics throughout the whole story, how like there's a speech early on in the movie talking about how like Oh, the mathematics you've dealt with up to this point are like clear, definite, concise, con- concise definite conclusions. The this is we're starting to get to messy gray areas where there aren't conclusions. There there aren't conclusions, and you kind of just have to sit with these unresolved feelings, despite like there being a lot of closure in the sense of like we know exactly what happened. It's it's like we we get like you know we get to sort of full circle story, but you're sort of left with a lot of gray feelings and emotions. Like with Nahad uh, Abu Tarek, like he's a very deplorable person in what he's done, but you realize with his uh, with his past, like he was a child of war, and like and, and we don't want to excuse anything that he does. Oh but, no, it shouldn't have been. A but like, like I mean, yeah, you. Like I mean, you, you can go through all that trauma and not be a piece of shit. It's like, you, like you know, it's like you don't know how the dominoes evolve. You don't know how the, these like repercussions will happen. As, as like you, you drop a rock in the water and the, and the ripples wash out. You don't know what those outcomes will be. And this, yeah. and as like extreme as his story is, and as her story is, or all of their stories are, is like it's just a, just weird, like sad story, and you no one comes out really any like really happy but like their stories are told and they're not really sort of give the impression oh this is like a right or wrong way it's, it, this, this, these are just things that exist like i feel like the whole movie is just building up to the point where they can all just start to heal from everything it's not even sort of getting past the healing process it's getting to the healing process and uh Villeneuve is the use of color and you see that uh, in the films I've seen by him, you you kind of get that. Um, but with this, especially like Sicario as well, and I guess Arrival, it's more muted. But like something I thought was interesting was that, you know, every time you go into pass, you know, you get sunlight, bright, you know, kind of orange, uh, yellow. And then but then when you get to the future, when you get with the twins and stuff, it's it's just gray. It's all gray. Yeah. It'll be like shots of snow or it will be dark outside, things like that. Yeah. yeah. And it's also a good like visual indicator of where you're at in the story. Oh, oh yeah, because it doesn't—they don't really give you a lot of clues. It, it kind of the movie respects you enough to be like, okay, you'll be able to figure. Because there definitely were a few times where they jumped the timelines, but okay, where are we right now? And then like, okay, yeah, oh yeah, especially that first time it, fl- it flashes back to the past. It was like, okay, who are these people? It's and, like, but- oh. And I, and I will say too, with the brother and what in his part of the journey, uh, you can 
like the color palette changed to be kind of like the the color palette of the past, which is kind of like, in my opinion, kind of like, again, like just like the mother and how Jean going to uh, trying to figure this all out. You know, it's like the past is coming in now with Simone as well as part of uh, his mother's uh, story. Yeah, more of that. Once more of that story is revealed, it's starting to affect more of the present. Yeah. As emotionally devastating as this film was, I I went on a whole journey with it in my in my head and just like with my feelings. And while it will be a very cautious recommendation, I think this is very very much worth seeking out. Uh, obviously, give yourself the space to to view this because it's not an easy watch. Yeah. But it, it's it's very much worth the experience, however difficult it is, because like. There's a time and a place where difficult stories need to be told, and I think this is one that has a lot of impact in several different ways. And, and like, if you have the emotional bandwidth to go on that story, I would recommend it. I gave it uh, four and a half stars, and, and I could be argued to take it up to five. It's just that good. Uh, and when I first saw it, I, I gave it a four and a half. Uh, going through this movie one more uh, once again, I. I bump it up to a full five. Uh, I think uh, any sort of issues I had before it was mostly because I didn't understand what was going on. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's meticulously constructed and on every single level of filmmaking, and highly highly recommend. Uh, five five for me. Absolutely amazing movie. Man hasn't made a bad movie yet, in my opinion, that I've seen. I've, yeah, not I've especially not the ones I've seen. Bit. Yeah. Um, Five stars, obviously. Fantastic. Uh, one of my favorites up there with Blade Runner. Uh, fuck you, Tanner. He didn't like Sicario. Sicario is a fucking masterpiece as well. Uh, which uh, movie I haven't seen up to get to one day. Yeah, well, we got it on Blu-ray at the house, so we'll probably check that out in the near future. First time, long time, part two? Maybe. <laughs> I think this will be the end of part two. We're going to take a little break, and you'll probably need one, too. And come back in part three, we'll discuss the final film of our movie festival. Welcome back to part three of First Time, Long Time Movie Festival. And the last movie we'll be discussing is the movie I brought to the table, which is 1994's Pompoko, or as it's known in Japan, Heisei Tanuki Gesen Pompoko, which translates to Heisei and Tanuki War Pompoko. This is Studio Ghibli's eighth film. It was directed by Isao Takahata. And this film is about community of Tanuki or raccoon dogs a type of canid species native to Japan that looks like, you know, very accurately, a cross between a raccoon and a dog. With big-ass balls. Big old balls, as that's a very important plot point. And it's sort of, it's an exploration of their, loss of their habitat due to construction and human uh, sort of overpopulation and how, to, how they react to it from benign to more aggressive tactics. And basically the, the, the conceit is sort of... Um, Man versus nature, and that that which is a very reoccurring uh, plot point in uh, Miyazaki films and across 
Studio Ghibli's like body of work. And I first saw this movie, God, it's probably been about 18 years now. It was like 2003. I was happening up like randomly at 3 a.m. one night. I had turned on TV just to watch, and I saw like this anime movie in AMC. It's like, what is this? And I watched it. It just transfixed because just like one, how gorgeous the film is, and two, just like how butt fucking wild it is. Just, just while Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki is are very well known, this movie doesn't get a lot of fanfare. It's not really talked about a lot in like Miyazaki or anime film discussions. And I wanted to one revisit the movie for myself and just sort of. Like, give everyone else the experience of seeing this movie. So, and I loved it the first time, but I'm definitely curious to see what were y'all's impressions and I mean, have like, even have you heard of this movie in the Ghibli's library? I heard of this movie uh, a few years ago on Twitter uh, because somebody shared the scene of uh, the Tanukis with their nutsack. They use it as a uh, parachute before <laughs> they slam into the ground with buying making their balls huge to fight the police. It uh, sounds fucking <laughs> crazy, but it Ross sounds is, like we, we're making this movie up, but, no, but we're the not. Ball, the ball sacks are an important part, not only of the movie, but also of the Tanuki's yeah. uh, history in general. And, like, their they're, they're general anatomy, because they are known for having, like, very huge large, testicles. Like, like, disproportionately large testicles, and, like, how Tanuki is just this very rich symbol in Japan, how it has, like, just hundreds of years of folklore. It's a very like well-known symbol and like part of Japanese iconography and you, you know, if you watch any sort of anime any sort of like Japanese sort of like media you've seen like the statue or the the, the visage of a Tanuki in some fashion because like with this movie the Takahata spent a lot of time like in, incorporating just about every <laughs> like Tanuki raccoon based like folklore like imagery into the film and 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 what i think is sort of like a little tiny tragedy about the film is that there's there's a lot that's just going to go completely over the heads of any western viewer unless unless you're just like really dialed into japanese culture miyazaki himself said that there's a lot about the film in terms of its folklore and like cultural like artifacts that were that went over the head of japanese viewers at the time because a lot of the film is sort of how the past gets pushed to the side for the sake of like progress and modernity with like not not being preserved and so there's like a lot of the film that's that may be a bit alien even to native viewers and i think that's that's one of the bigger you know dramas of the film yeah uh, john and, and wenzel what were uh, y'all's impression all right y'all go i i this was uh, a Ghibli movie that's been on my the top of my radar. Like I, I remember seeing like the the little Tanukis being cute and shit, and uh, and how this one like like Pat was saying doesn't really get talked about a lot. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with the cult, like a lot of the cultural the cultural elements of the movie that might go over the heads of like you were saying even native uh, viewers, but. It's also fucking weird. I was not ready. I was not I, like I thought this was going to be a cute movie. Like I thought this was going to be Totoro, but with raccoons. I was fucking wrong. It is flying nutsacks 
and one raccoon that has weirdly detailed nipples for some reason. It's the only raccoon with it's, nipples. It's Why? It's the only raccoon with that fucking nipples. That really fucked up John and Colt. It I, doesn't make sense. Like, every other character didn't have nipples at all. It was the only <laughs> one with nipples. And, and they were huge and weirdly detailed. They were pink. I'm Why? just like, why? I mean, Why? You, I mean, you can count the bumps on the areola. And also, you know, I mean, you know, animal and mammals, a lot of them have pink nipples. I mean, That's yeah. not really the big issue here. It, it's <laughs> it's the, not necessarily <laughs> that the raccoons have nipples. It's just this one specific one does. And we see, and, and it's wearing clothes, too. It's like one of the few Tanuki that is wearing clothes, but that have the nipples pop out every now and then. I don't get it. You have, like, all these other raccoons with these larger, well, these are pretty big boobies on this one with the nipples. There's other ones with boobies, and they don't got nipples. Why's this one got nipples? I mean, and, but the female <laughs> one. This one, but every, every single one of them has... Just like an expanding pair of nuts. Yeah, which is funny because the one, the males that have the nuts, it's like the nuts are very obvious, and but also the females to make them seem that they're female, they they usually give them like a shirt, and then they'll have huge boobs. But even then, some don't have a shirt, and they still have huge boobs. And it's just you know that one that has the nipples. But Pat, do you do you get any of this? Do you understand this? What's going on over here? I, I just I, I just. Just love sort of just seeing the clamor like behind me, <laughs> because like there's because like the Tanukis have like an inherent ability to transform as a part of like uh, Japanese folklore, but certain ones are of course more adept than others. So they have like different abilities to transform and like to, to different degrees. But there's this one like elder Tanuki. It's like okay, I have a special trick to for the male Tanuki. All the boys come around and he's like you know that. Going over like the the, the, the high handedness of it, and it's also by the way, this mat you've been sitting on is actually my balls. It, it, no, he says like this mat you're sitting on is special. Do you know why it's special? It's my nutsack. And, and, and like and, 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 it, it took me a good like ten seconds for that to like like I got the fucking spinning wheel, and it was like that was his nuts. And then, I, and then they just that like, they were standing on. Shri- then it just shrivels up, like retracts back into his body. He's just cackling. And I'm like, I'm and John's screaming and I'm just, and Pat's cackling and I'm just like, but because like Pat's talked about this movie before, like when we, we would talk about Ghibli and it's like, Oh yeah, Pompoko, that's one. And, and Pat's, yeah, I like that one. Never really goes into the fact that they fight with their fucking nuts. It's like, obviously I couldn't, Y'all had to just experience it. I didn't want to rob And, and I appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. Holy, I, I will say, while this is definitely not my favorite, not even my favorite of the Takahata Ghibli movies, I still really fucking enjoyed this. Uh, and, and, to make a very long story short. And I, I will say, I, I did kind of forget how long the movie was. It's two hours, but the the I would say the... The plot is very languid. There's not a, a hurry to get to any point. Yeah, there, there's. Uh, I think it, like the biggest complaint I have about the movie, especially that last half, felt really long. I was like, yeah. like there were multiple times I'm like, oh, we're gearing up for the end. Oh, we're still going, and, and, and a lot. And some of the events kind of felt repetitive too. But you know, we'll get into that. What did you think about it, Wenzel? Um. <laughs> Big nuts. Big balls. Big balls. Big balls. Big, uh, just big balls. You know, speaking of tanukis and things, uh, when me and Cole were playing Neo 2, every time we'd open a chest, instead of it being like kind of like a, like a, it was a mimic, but like 
it was a tanuki. And I remember being so confused about what it was because <laughs> it would have like it would be holding something on top of its head. I'm like, what the fuck is that? It was holding its nutsack. It was so fucking big. And I'm just like... Like, look look at this. And it, This is highly detailed. And what was cool about it was because it's a mimic and because Tanukis can transform, it would always... Whoever was the person... Like, it's kind of random, but it will transform into the player character. Yeah. And it's, like, really crazy. And honestly, that was something I didn't realize about them even though they did that in Neo 2, like, that was a part of their folklore is that they can transform. And we see that into full effect in what was, like, an awesome spectacle. Because I, I, I did not – I knew very little Pompoko. When I saw – I literally – when I was telling my dad what I was, was going to watch, I was like, I was like, we're watching some movie about some Tanuki family. I don't know. That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then seeing it now, and I'm, and I didn't realize there was a scene in there of the giant skeleton uh, that's also in Japanese folklore. The Gasha Dokoro. It's yes. pretty much every single thing in Japanese folklore. It, yeah, it, it was a part of a parade, but that specific shot, I didn't realize. I've seen all over Twitter for like certain like cinema accounts or people sharing like random, you know, good anime moments or whatever. And I was like, I was like, wow, okay, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I love, it. I literally enjoyed. It. I, I would, I did not know how important the ball sack was. I, I was not ready for I was, how important the testicles were going. Was to be. not ready. And it, it's so funny because there's opening shot because like there's there's like a dispute between the Tanuki clans like in this one particular territory, as like human encroachment sort of kickstarts the plot. How like they're they're getting ready for like this this will be our final battle and you see like the Tanuki's like like very <laughs> realistically drawn charging the battle and then they shift into like these very cartoonish uh, like raccoons and you think like they're gonna like whoop ass and they just they're just like bonking each other on the head with sticks, sticks yeah and, like yeah. they'll they'll like partially transform to like samurais like it's funny how they play up a lot of seriousness of the film and like the loss of wilderness and the habitat. With, like, how the Tanukis, like, actively struggle against their nature for being, like, very lackadaisical, easily distracted, like, very jovial creatures. <laughs> how, like, there will be so many times where they just get, like, oh, we, we did one thing minor, huge-ass party. And, like, they have to be, <laughs> they, they, the, 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 the few leaders have to, like, constantly be on the ball to keep them reined in because they just... Or just want to just wander and just goof around. You know, it, it's funny too because it's like they had these real issues, but like it kind of it just reminds me of how like kind of like how humans how we just view cute animals because like to us we'll you know we'll be we'll see them do like you know like growling or like eh, being angry or whatever. But to us it's like oh look at these cute little animals. But to them they're like. I'm going to start a fucking war. That's the, that's mm-hmm. what's going on in these animals' heads. But to us, it's like, oh, look at the little babies. Because, like, it was just so funny. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the South Park episode with Lemmy Weeks versus Weekly Leaks. And it's like, you see this epic battle that's supposed to happen, and it's just these two rats just... Just, like, slapping against each other. Like, like it's just like that. And, I like, I saw this, I thought the same thing with these really well-drawn Tanuki dog or these raccoon dogs. is like, they're like... You know, like all this, but <laughs> sorry, this isn't making any sense. <laughs> what I, what one of the things I really appreciate about the film in terms of like the character design is like how just like fat and fluffy all the characters are. Like everybody is just like a big blob, a big, big fat. belly, big, yeah. 
And like even like they're, they're all chunky, like, chunky yeah, everybody's babies. Everybody's chunky AF, like chunker, and how even normal wrecking dogs are just like big, fat, and fluffy. <laughs> they're already chunky. <laughs> and then when you have like they're they all have big pop bellies and like little boobs, and they're all just like like just love to eat. Like even the guy who's like very like aggressive and like wants to kill all humans. Like his big screwed against humanity is completely derailed when they start talking about food. Tempura. It was literally like it's like, well, can we keep a few few humans for tempura? He's like, all right, it can't be helped. Uh, like as, as he just like waterfalls of drool. Uh, and oh, I, I feel like the big part of the movie, even the, even the plot, is a little like like very slow and sort of like maybe drags out certain aspects of itself. I feel like. I don't mind as much because I feel like this is to me. It felt very much like a warm blanket. Like it's just like vibes. Yeah, it's such like a nice, like comfortable, like this is Sunday like, afternoon. I, movie. This is a Sunday afternoon movie if there ever was one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel well, like like I could see struggling between watching this and Law and Order SVU. Oh my god, struggling? <laughs> nah, I would I would pick Paw Poco every, every day. <laughs> Testicles. It, and and because the, so much of this movie's plot and it's based around sort of like the preservation of wilderness and being conscious of what we as humans need and like what we can like take from nature in order to survive, the level of detail and effort put into like showing the beauty of nature can't be understated because there's just so many moments like when it shifts through the whole season, spring, summer, fall, winter. You feel the vibe of like that. There's moments like it's like, oh, this feels like a summer movie. No, this feels like a fall movie. Yeah. Like when it just traverses a year, and I feel like I miss like being at my parents' house because like we're pretty far out in the woods, and just to see like nature, like all the trees and the grass, and like makes me want to go outside. And like <laughs> because then that's very much the point of the film is like to appreciate the beauty. And like the fragility in nature, because yeah. once, once it's displaced, it can't come back. Yeah, because there's that really good shot of like uh, of the mountain, and it was being redone for development. But like it was kind of, um, I'm trying to think of. There's a term for it, but it basically showed uh, uh, a machine like scooping out the side of the mountain to show that like you know development being done there, and then it scoops the other side, and then development. And it was just, it was a really good. I think that was a really good scene, good representation of that. Especially <laughs> also too, it shows a leaf, and then it shows all little machines kind of eating it like a caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, eating away at it. Another cool thing about the movie is like it also shows how strong nature can be. It shows how strong, like specifically raccoons are, and how they have such a will to live. That they steal from all these places to live and get their food. They're survivors, yeah. And they're and at the end of the movie, they're just living on a golf course, having a party. Yeah, uh, and uh, there's a really cool like. I guess this can also be like the magical side of nature or what have you. But like, there was also that really cool scene again with the giant skeleton. What basically was going on was like a parade that they, with the collected power of like these really powerful Tanuki elders and this Tanuki like clan they were able to pull off this like visual spectacle of them just being different kinds of uh yokai uh different monsters about, about every yeah. single like japanese folklore like image cryptid creature like uh, spirit was represented in this massive parade it, it was it kind of had the same feeling like a lot of the older disney movies have where they have just like one scene that is just abstract craziness 
of just like random stuff. I mean, granted, this is very deliberate in the sense of its uh, cultural creatures and myths and images. But yeah. it, it was still kind of had that same feeling, like a, the night on Bald Mountain segment of Fantasia. And just, and seeing like how seamlessly the Tanukis, like in, over the course of the film, like transform from their initial forms to like whatever form they take, like be it animal, me- vegetable, mineral, and like see just like the fluidity of how they trans from like one spirit to another during the big like quote goblin parade. It's like it's just one. It's a it's just a visual feast and just like it just shows how the the folks at Studio Ghibli are like the best in the history of animation and like yeah. what they're able to accomplish because they really pulled out all the stops for for a movie that's not really well remembered underrated yeah i i would agree like i mean really the transformations like especially like when they're first starting out they was really cool and like the exploration of their powers like when you see them like oh in order to turn to a big a spider thing, you'll have to like combine together or like there's a little bit of points where you see like the electrical current running through their bodies <laughs> in order to generate like a bigger illusion. energy for their facade. Uh, also, them like, me- <laughs> sorry, <laughs> they increase the size of their ball sacks to like comic uh, proportions. Like, oh my god! Uh, like, especially during like that one Tanuki's like uh, raids against the humans, but they're literally fighting like SWAT officers where they <laughs> where they they turned their uh, ball sacks into like little parachutes to drop down. Then they, then they get pat partway through their para drop. They turn their like they enlarge their balls to be like battering them to hit the ground. They're literally like beating people <laughs> and like smothering them with their balls. And there's like the leader who's literally like swinging his nut sacks like a flail to fight off the fucking cops. <laughs> it's, it's fucking so, so insane. It's so insane because the cops then are like it's like instead of hitting the Tanuki directly, they're like. In the ball sack, it's so and because like it's gonna hurt and it does hurt obviously, but it's just so fucking insane. It was so good and so sad because they beat them basically to death, but they actually come back later for one final stunt, which is they become a giant like head, like a like a demon head, because which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Because like th- that's sort of the interesting point about the film is that there's there is like a happy. Like resol- I guess like a resolution, but like it's the film over overall is bittersweet because when they in their event to sort of to scare humans into like recognizing the, the power of nature into preserving um, the wilderness, um, this whole parade is sort of like co opted by like just the Disney like Wonderland kind of place, and uh, um, the one of the elders dies during just the strain of it all. God, was that the one who looked like Hayachi from Tekken? Yes. <laughs> He's the one that died uh, just, in the parade. Just for... See, how... He wasn't like the oldest, but like, you know... He, he was the leader. He was the, the oldest one. one is like, he was 999 that, years n- old. Yeah, 900, yeah. And it's just, you, you see how defeated they are. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. By the effort and how their... Just the, all their work was for naught. <coughs> and basically, there's this sad realization that some of the Tanukis come to is that their world is never coming back, and they just have to acquiesce to human nature. So they take on human disguises, live human lives, while like sneaking away to have like some Tanuki time, or some just go straight back to nature and just sort of live in the like the margins. And there's one very like kind of sad scene where the, one of the remaining Tanuki elders 
fashions himself a magical boat out of his testicles and takes on a whole horde of non-transforming transforming raccoons where they sort of just ride this, have one last party on this boat as they sink into the sea and they, they choose death. And like, you think like, oh, I forgot about that part. Uh, man. Yeah, yeah. Because, because there is a very bittersweet, like, to- like, especially by the end, because they are losing their way of life, their land, their culture. But then also, but, too. But, but then they have their own little sections where they can still have that piece of it left, so it doesn't truly die. Yeah, because, you know, they said, like, well, you know, one of the good things about humans is that they build parks still, you know, um... Uh, you know, some of them, like you said, transformed into humans and basically uh, assimilated into human society as well. And it, it's it's kind of just like, yeah, you know. And, and it's treated like it's not great, like it's a bad thing. But there's also like, they're able. To, they, they, there, there's also this reality they have to it, face. It, it, yeah, like, and, and but they are still able to find enjoyment through that. Yeah. Well, the thing, like, that is, like, obviously humans have their needs and we can't circumvent that. It's just how we're able to meet the needs with the resources we have is the big issue. Like, the point to make across, like, we can still find ways to satisfy what humanity needs, like, emphasis on needs, and still respect the beauty of the world that we have left. Because, you know, we only have one world and once it's used up, it can't be remade. And, like, just... Finding that, finding that balance and respect is like the chief point. To the, to the point where at the very end of the movie, one of the Tanuki just sort of reiterates the plot. Like, yeah, he looks directly into the camera and says, "Hey, uh, I know it says we're disappearing, but we're not. We're still here. Uh, so you need to change that." As yeah, he's holding a don't shopping forget bag. about nature. We're still here. You know, not every not not every species can adapt like that. So please take care of that. Take take that in consideration. Because I mean, that's the thing is that animals. You know, we say animals go extinct or they disappear. It's like, well, they don't magically are gone. Like that's not how it works. Like they're still very much there. They're still physically there. You know, like you gotta you gotta take care of that. You gotta be mindful. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, this this is like one of my also one of the Tanukis killed ten humans. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, the <laughs> like like it's surprisingly violent. Like, <laughs> I, and not in like like cartoon Tom and Jerry violent. I mean like causing oh, fuck. There's that, but there's also like real like actual death. causing car accidents. A uh, fuck like multiple car accidents. Like like is uh, the the aggressive contingency of the Tanukis. They're like yeah, fuck the humans, kill them, and then. There's there's a great bit where there's like oh we need to, you know we, we didn't mean to kill them this was this an unavoidable uh, sacrifice we should respect people that died while they're trying to have like this little funerary moment and then the, the rest of them are just like they they they're able to stifle their laughter for like a second before they're like fuck this have yeah, a party we'll have a party <laughs> it's like Jesus Christ all right uh, but uh, this it's one of my favorite Ghibli films it's a, it's an underrated like. Uh, classic, I think yeah. it's it's worth seeking out. Uh, it's it's not just like it's not just ball sack. I love how you get just just out out there crazy comedy with like some really poignant things to say about human consumption and our relationship with nature. Yeah, so uh, I get, I give it four stars. It's 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 a it's a great film. So what were y'all sort of like final ratings for the film? Four stars, absolutely love it. It's one of the few Ghibli movies I'm missing. From my Ghibli bingo, 
I think I have like two or three left, and then I'll have them all watched. Almost there, baby. Watch this movie. Watch the movie about the fucking raccoons with big nutsacks and beating people to death. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's streaming on HBO Max. It's right there. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. I also gave it a four. And even though I'm probably I'm not going to bump it up any higher, the more we've talked about it, the more I've really enjoyed it. It's especially like a lot of the thematic stuff. Like I know like. <laughs> Ghibli, especially Miyazaki, is very notorious for, like, preserve nature, nature is good, human bad, blah, blah, blah. But this has a level of, like, subtlety and nuance that you don't really even see in, like, Miyazaki movies. So I, I definitely I, feel I, like Takahata happened at a hand of that being, like, a more nuance. Which, the fact that this man also did Grave of the Fireflies fucks with me because <laughs> that movie is so sad and this is like just fucking absurdly whimsical yeah but yeah for check it out it, it honestly people need to experience it more yeah it, it, it's it doesn't need to be as underrated as it is I agree. I gave it four stars as well, and the more we talk about it, the more I love it. Uh, you know, that long runtime and how some of the kind of, like, how slow it is, is kind of a detriment for me. Mm-hmm. But again, loved it. I, I, you gotta watch it, you know? Studio it, Ghibli. It's a, it's a great movie. There's, like, there's very few, like, actively bad, or I would say bad Ghibli films. I think, like, this is one that's worth looking out. That's, you know, when you talk about Ghibli films, you, certain ones come to mind right away, like Princess Mononoke, Spirited Spirit Away, Kiki. things like that. I feel like this is worth bringing into that conversation. Sure, yeah. Okay. yeah it's it's not my favorite, but it, it's... It's good. It's really good. good. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a very solid film. Yeah, And it speaks to the quality of Ghibli's output that where I'm like, this is like fifth down on my list of like Ghibli movies ranked. But the ones above it are just so fucking good. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the great body of work. Uh, something I want to mention, too, is that originally when I uh, when I came up with this, I because I, the, the choice is made, John said in, in Sunday, you said Pompoco. I told Colt, I was like, you know, if you because he was thinking about what films to choose. I was like, you know, it seems like, you know, we got a serious and we got a fun film. So I was like, you can choose a fun or serious, and whichever one you choose, I'll choose the opposite. So he chose Metropolis. I was like, okay, that might be kind of serious. So I'll choose fun. So Fantastic Mr. Fox. But man, was Ansandi just a, like further from anything like. I mean, my, I, like, I Metropolis felt, was kind of serious. Metropolis was very serious. Uh, you know. Uh, of, of the three animated films, like Metropolis was like the more dramatic one. But like, <laughs> we have three ostensible family films, and you have Ansandi, which is like this. This very like emotionally powerful drama. Yeah. And so, like, you know, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. And like, I, I'm not saying like, you know, the other films aren't serious. It's just that with the subject matter and the content warnings, it's very different. Like, they're all, they all have their own things to say, their meanings, their themes, what have you, that are all serious, that are all worth. Uh, listening to and watching. Yeah, exactly. But it, it, it's just funny, just like the juxtaposition of like all these films. <laughs> in each, because like what other place would you see like these four films compiled <laughs> together? <laughs> I, who knows? This, this, this is the AYCH uh, guarantee. It's just going to be shit that we, yeah, we put together that we appreciate and it's worth watching. But like I argue you have a hard time finding another 
show that has this level of range. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Well, we hope you enjoyed this uh, film festival. I know we did it. We ran the gamut, ups and downs, peaks and valley with um, with emotions and uh, content. But we hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to follow us wherever podcasts are found. That's on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify. Be sure to like, rate, music, drive, and all those platforms. Helps us out. Keeps us visible. Puts us in front of new listeners, and we always appreciate you when you do it. A little look ahead the upcoming events for this week. If you're listening to it, the week it comes out on Tuesday, Tanner has a sit-down conversation with another one of his wrestling Twitter friends. You know, he has a lot, he has a lot of online clout and a, and a big reach, so be interested to see what this new conversation will be. And then on Thursday is a very special episode, a crossover edition between The Late Takes and Cajun Greatness, where it was an offshoot of Tanner's uh, CM Punk special that came out last week. But you can't contain the Cajun Greatness cast. <laughs> they ran so far off topic so far over time. It came its own special. It discusses CM Punk. It discusses Donut. It discusses Hot Takes. And it's got a little bit of everything, and that comes out on Thursday, and that's a crossover between our two spinoff shows. So look forward to that. And lastly, you can follow me, Patrick, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at John Lost His Name. My name is Art on Facebook at John Lost His Name Art. My name is Colt. Follow me on Twitter at ColtD00. And if you finally want to see Tanner get his ass ate on audio, <laughs> give a listen to that episode. I haven't listened to it, or I wasn't there when it was recorded. But uh, from what I've heard from Cannon and other people that were there, Tanner did get his ass ate. It was, uh, sounds interesting. Yeah. Not the act of ass eating, <laughs> but the attack on the ass. <laughs> it, you, you know, maybe you shouldn't come up with these metaphors. <laughs> I, I think those metaphors got a little mixed. I would have used a different phrase. I would have I personally phrased that differently. <laughs> I don't know. Tanner gets his but, ass ate on the new one. Yes. I'm, I'm not saying which one does it, but someone eats his booty like groceries. Yeah, I was about to say, oh, I, I, I would have said his butt would have been eaten. <laughs> oh, just beaten. His butt was beaten. He got his ass kicked. But that sounds like... That sounds like... Uh, go, 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 John. Fuck it. My name is John. You can follow me on Twitter at J-O-N-I-I-B-O-Y-24 and John Owens on 12 on Letterboxd. Thank you. I'm Winslow. You can follow me on Twitter at Winslow. You can follow my art Instagram at What a Winslow. Follow, go to my link tree. I have my Letterbox and Goodreads in there for you know reviews of books or movies, what have you. Uh, go check these movies out. So yeah, good movies. Good movies. Uh, also, uh, I'm glad to know that anger is unleashed upon Tanner because we're all angry at Tanner. No Tanner reason. We're, yeah. 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 Fuck Tanner. Not really. We love not him. really. We love Tanner. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but but he's not here, so we can definitely pick on him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh, thank you all so much. Uh, have a great day, and I'll be talking to you very soon. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Redeem these nuts. Bye.